Uh, this <laughs> so Chicago awesome. artist, Moon Germ. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Karen Mooney. For, she's in a f- different punk bands and stuff. Yeah, I've seen... I, know, I think she did something for uh, David, Troigo David. Yeah, she did. She and did. it was sick. It yeah. was a really freaky-ass <clears throat> logo. She's good. She made the last Easy Fest poster there and this logo. And, yeah, great artist. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Seth, what's new? What is new? Whoa, God. I don't I'm, know the last time I saw you. Yeah, probably. Many years. <laughs> like, I feel like maybe... Maybe that about a million video session? No, that long ago? That's like really... That was nine years ago. (laughs) I know that was nine years ago, but I'm like trying to think other than like running... Some shows. Like, yeah, like possibly running into each other at a show, but I can't... We've definitely been to the same shows, I could tell you that much. Yeah, but I'm like trying to think about like (laughs) in terms of like substantial like... Yeah, it it might may have been about a million years. That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, because in a short time, you came through with options... About a million. You played an intimate evening show. One of the, I think, the second one we ever had in yeah, the house. That was sick. That was fun. I remember that. Back when that everyone very would sit fondly. on like cushions, couch cushions, and stuff. And who else played that one? Twenty fourteen. It was yeah. That was October twenty fourteen. So yeah, maybe it, maybe it has been nine years. <laughs> That's. But you've been busy. I've been real recording busy. a lot of, a lot of bands. I saw last night. I was, on your Instagram story. I was looking, at it, and I saw um, girly pants. Oh yeah, yeah, Sabrine. Yeah, I've I've reached out to them to, to do a session before. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I'm like, oh, your music's great, you know. And I saw that you were. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's our worlds are so small now. Yes, <laughs> like, like, and and same with Michael from you know, um, from Palette Sound. He mm-hmm. the new name. It's a different name, right? Uh, yeah, studio. Bim Bomb is his yes, new thing. That's it. Okay, that's out. I haven't been there, but it's out on Cicero. Okay, way out west. Yes. Yeah, we, a lot of rotating. Circles. I mean, when you record enough bands for how long you've been? Let's go to the beginning. How long you've been recording music, artists, yourself, bands? When did that start? On and off. I mean, like, kind of, kind of as long as I've been playing music. Mm-hmm. It, I, I was like, well, I have to figure out how to, you know, get this down somehow. So I pretty much they've they've always been linked in that way. But I feel like. The first, like, you know, actual thing that I would consider that I did was probably Space Jam, which was in Jefferson Park. We did that from 2010 to 2012 or 13. Maybe it was, like, the end of 2012. But that was a really cool spot. It was um, me and my buddy Adam Salzberg, who I met within, like, maybe a month of moving to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so he lived in this house. There were a bunch of other people who lived in this house. They would throw shows... Did you ever get to go to any of those? It sounds familiar, especially like that era. Because it it's was a blur. 2010 to 2013 was a lot of DIY shows. Yeah. A lot of warehouses in Chicago. And I just like cannot keep up with how many. It was so many it was that insane. I would go to. <laughs> it was a crazy place. But yeah, anyway, it was like, so it was like we would record in the basement and we bought a 100 foot snake and wired it up to his bedroom on the second floor. And yeah. that was the control room. And it was awesome. I mean, that was like really really an important experience and we got to make some really cool records while we were there and then from there i moved into a practice space at the right on carroll building at sacramento and carroll and that became the owlery and then i recorded there for like probably like 2013 to like 16 and then i moved into pallet sound Mm -hmm. and then i moved into homestead in 2021 
So you, you've had like four studios. You've four yeah. big ones. You've hopped around. Yeah, pretty. Probably much. a lot of other small things. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, always done like home stuff and mobile stuff if I'm able, and like, mm-hmm. you know, the occasional luxury of someone going, "Hey, we want you to record," but like we want to record at like some other place, and yeah. I'm like, "All right, that's yeah. great." Have um, you recorded at Jam Deck? Yeah, I did when it was Minbal. Yeah. Um quite a few times. And that I had never used anything like that. I was like, oh my God, this looks like the plugin. It's the same thing. It's like just, the actual analog plugin. Yeah, it was yeah. it was nuts. And just yeah. getting to use it. I mean, like I had no understanding of like, you know, a quad eight board or like mm-hmm. I was just like, Yeah, the shit sounds really good and like the EQ sound like extremely musical and you know, all the I was like, oh, cool, like Ampex 351, like, oh, cool, like, you know, tube pre's from a tape machine that the Rolling Stones recorded Wild Horses on, like, sick. <laughs> like, there was there was just so much stuff that I got to play with, and it was, I, I'm still just super grateful to Benjamin for being down to let me use that room and, like, answer every really, really stupid question that I had. I would come in and just be like, oh, no, I can't get sound. Like, what am I doing wrong? And he would just, like, you know, I now know how to do this but like at the time it was like the most mystical thing to me that he could just navigate me through this board Mm -hmm. just on the phone it was Mm -hmm. it was amazing every time we we would solve whatever was going on over the phone and it was always an issue on my end but it was really super cool that you know other than like don't you know don't put a heavy mic on a flimsy stand Mm -hmm. like he was totally just like you know, here's all this shit, like, use it and, you know. Patient. Ask questions and, you know, here to learn and here to work. And it was, it was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't used it since Doug took the reins, but mm-hmm. I've been there and he's, I mean, what a beautiful spot. It's, yeah, it's, it's a awesome. cool spot. I've Have you worked there. out of there? I've never worked. I've kind of, I've filmed out of there. So I've done some live sessions. Oh, okay. I've done that twice um, where a band... I mean, he reached out to me because he knew that I, I do a lot of video stuff too, and he was like, "I'll do the audio here, and you come do the video." So that was fun to kind of collaborate oh, that's with great. him. That was cool, and I've I've probably been there three times, and yeah, it's always it's always fun. It's cool. A lot of old equipment. Yes, and it's analog equipment, especially when it's like all analog. It is unbelievably complicated and simple at the same time because so much of what we have now in a computer, all those wires in in the in a digital world are just hidden within it. Yeah. You don't have to worry about anything. It's all just yeah. organized and you just tap buttons and it does what would take like 10 minutes of like hiding getting behind a mixing console to unplug and plug, you know, it's and all then, done. And already. then like maybe the cable went bad yeah. mysteriously yeah. and then you have to trace the source in the computer. It's just like, all it's right. It's all done for you. And the worst thing you'll get in a computer is some type of glitch or digital error or yeah. you know, that's why it's good kids to have legitimate DAWs and not hacked ones. Yes. Although I didn't get a legitimate one until like 2018. <laughs> you know what's funny though? We actually at Homestead we just upgraded uh, computers and so we have the newest newest version of Pro Tools and it does stuff like sometimes when you go to modify a group it just crashes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> How do you feel about Pro Tools? I, you know, so like this whole like, <laughs> this whole like industry standard, I think that's just like, it's like does it sound good? Can you work fast? Like who fucking cares? I don't yeah, care. No. But also, I've gotten really fast in it, and I know how to use it. Yeah. And so, great. I mean, like, you know. But it's because you've been using it for so long. It's because I've been if, using it for exactly. so long. I I came up on Logic, 
and I was really fast with Logic. I wasn't really good at recording yet, but I was like, I could do everything I needed to do. Yeah. And I think when I was, at some point when I was in the Owlry, someone was like, I'm going to get a computer and it's going to have Pro Tools. I'm going to install, oh, it was, it was, uh, I'm going to install Digi192s mm. and we're going to use Pro Tools. And I was like, well, fuck, I don't own Pro Tools. Like, you're just like locking me out of this thing because I can't use the 192 with Logic. But, you know, I I poked around and actually I think I think it was Benjamin from Minbal sold me his old, uh, like, dude, the, like, license transfer for, like, Pro Tools, like, 10 or 11 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a, I think I took a Pro Tools class in college at some point, like, towards the end. What college did you go to? I went to Columbia. Okay, for audio design and production? For, uh... Actually, for music, for drums. Oh. So all, all the audio stuff that I've learned, I've learned from hanging out with audio people. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you went, it's adjacent. <clears throat> Anyone who goes into music is going to be around yeah. audio stuff. Yeah. They go hand in hand. And if you are an audio engineer, you will be around musicians all the time. So they are married, but different. Yeah. yeah and that's cool. It's definitely, uh, I like uh, the vantage point that that angle has given me. The musician into audio? Yeah. Because I feel like my... My MO is so uh, artist centric mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a big believer in just like, oh, you want to do some home recordings on your studio recording? Like if you get the, if it sounds good, it is good. Like no one knows when you're, when you're listening to a recording, you know, what equipment you were using. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes if you're a dork, you can so tell. I was going to, I'm sure at this point you and I, I, like I'm Take, like I can yeah. hear if it, if you use the Sound Toys plugin usually <laughs> like that's like it's got a sound to it but yeah. but like generally speaking it's like someone who enjoys music is just gonna go do I like this or do I not like this mm-hmm. and that's it so mm-hmm. like I'm I'm working on a record right now uh, for my friend Andy who's just like such a good pedal steel player they're they're truly uh, something to behold mm-hmm. and. Uh, and there's this song on the record where they they did the demo at home and, you know, like air filter running in the background, like the whole, like recorded everything with, uh, with the internal mic on their iPhone. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, yeah, I really like this vocal take and that's the take that I want to use on the record. To use an iPhone. Yeah. And I, was, and I was like, hell yeah, like let's do it. That's sick. You like the take and you feel great about the performance. <laughs> like... I can just use Isotope RX and like do my best, you know, spectral denoising and get the other shit out of there. But like the most important thing is like, it's like, yeah, could we record it with a U87 into a Cappy pre? Like, sure, great. And it would sound awesome, but it's all it's all about the vibe. Yes. I, I agree. It's the first thing. Everything you're saying is the first thing. I, I simplify and I tell any students first day class, because I also was te- teaching on Wednesdays at Columbia and audio production and stuff. And I tell my students, because they're always like, what, you know, this is important, that's important, acoustics, this, and I'm like, there's only two things you actually need to do when recording. Yeah. There is no right way or wrong way. It's no digital clipping, and is this what the client wants? Like, that's literally it. Yeah. Everything else is, (laughs) like, just don't clip digitally on the input or or, um, sending it out, either way. And is this what the client 
whoever it is, the talent is looking for what they want. If those two things are met, everything within that, you could do whatever you want. It could be an iPhone recording. Yeah. It, there could be, you know, the HVAC going on in the back. That's what, if that's what they wanted, then it's right. It's yeah. the correct thing. And so many people get obsessed with making things as clean and pristine as possible. And I'm like, I mean, you can do that. I mean, that's where we get our pop records of today. They're yeah. so unbelievably clean. Yes. Like in every way ever. It's it's sometimes a bit much, but it is cool to aspire if you're trying to get a little bit more cleaner recordings. It's cool to analyze pop music and how they do oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's on another level of cleanliness. But I, yeah, I always tell younger people that are trying to like be really perfect at all. I'm like, guys, just these two things. You can follow those rules. You can be very creative within the recording process. And I, that might come from like what you said, you're a musician first, artist first, then going to engineering. I'm the same way, musician first, artist first, then got into it. So I can relate to that world so much more and go back to it. And it always blows my mind when someone plays no music, never was a musician, but they're an audio engineer. I'm like, how do they fully relate and sympathize with the situation of the artist? Like, really? Yeah, like, that's, truly that shit's it. like, like you have to have, you have to have the intuitive, like, if you don't play, because I mean, I feel like I can't think of of like a specific example, but like, like thinking about the idea of someone who like doesn't play, but like really loves music and takes music in and listens really critically, mm -hmm. even if it's like, oh, I can't sing a note. It's like, uh, you know, people develop really strong tastes. So mm -hmm. it's but but it's different to know what the experience of playing is. I mean, a big part of why I kind of to go back to, you know, beginning stuff, uh, a big part of my motivation to get into it and learn how to do it myself. Well, there are two things. One is I was writing so much and I, I mean, through the course of my life, I've written like so, so much that I realized early on very quickly, there's no fucking way that I could ever afford financially and also time-wise to do this unless I'm doing it myself. So I have to figure out how to do this just for my own sake, yeah. you know, if nothing else. And the other the other big thing for me was, like, experiences recording drums at studio, like, as, as a drummer at studios. Um, some experiences that were great and some experiences that really I was, like, still to this day, my number one pet peeve is, like, hey, could you adjust this component of your kit so that I can, like, you know, get a better mic placement? And it's just like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Your, your job is to figure out your way around what I'm doing as the drummer. And so I really cherish playing that role, I think, as an engineer, where it's mm -hmm. like, like, sometimes it's like, oh, like, can we work together to, like, get this drum tuned the way you want, and, like, get whatever, like, resonant frequencies are bothering both of us out. And sometimes the job is just, like, cool, get the fuck out of the way. Like, yeah. get out of the way. Yeah. Because we've got a banger to cook. Yeah. And it's not going to be better if I'm asking someone to, like, modify, a, you know, some a way that they're comfortable playing. Yeah. Like, I mean, the classic is, like, the hi-hat being really low. And it's, like, I feel like, on, you know, on the drummer side, I'm, like, this is physically how I'm comfortable playing, and this is how I'm going to get the best take. Yeah. And on the recording side, it's, like, I think it's really special when someone presents you with something that's like a real head scratcher because then you have to innovate. You have to think, yeah. how am I going to do this? The hi-hat's like this close to the snare drum. Like, how am I going to get, like, I got to figure something out. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to be, but you got to move it around until it sounds right. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes a really good and, 
and how do I say it? A really good and understanding engineer. Because for those listening, there's you probably hear engineering, mixing, and mastering all the time. Sometimes they're synonymous. Sometimes you don't even know what they mean. But the engineering part that we're talking about, you're just what mics to use, what preamps to use, what angles to use, what acoustics to use, what all the objects what to use and, and best suit the musicians and the outcome of the recording. And sometimes a drummer, drummers are wild, you know them. <laughs> they are by far the most difficult thing to record and work with. Every drummer thinks they could set up their kit fast. They can't. Yep. It's a kit. Yep. What's fast is the singer who comes in with nothing. That's fast. Yeah. Drum kit, no. I like even if you're <laughs> really good and you come in with your shit tuned, it's like, I don't know, how was the weather when you were traveling? Yeah. Did it did it like, you know, yeah. change change the tuning of your drums and like every you know i'm such a big tuning head it's just like that's good because it makes or breaks a drum recording oh 100 yeah. like i i would like i would take a one mic recording of a really nicely tuned kit any day yeah. over and i'm i'm not like uh i'm i wouldn't say i'm like anti-sound replacement but i have some definite opinions on that what are your thoughts on my thoughts are like well, elaborate what that means to people who don't oh, know. Oh, so, oh, great. Um, so sound <laughs> sound replacing is when you take a sample of a drum, like a like a sample of a kick drum or a snare drum, isolated by itself, and then uh, using software within the recording program. Uh, it, when when a snare drum or a kick drum is hit, it will sort of see that or detect that audio, and then insert this uh isolated drum like a you know kick drum or snare mm -hmm. drum and a lot of people do it i mean thinking about like cleanliness a lot of people do it for cleanliness a lot of people do it sometimes <laughs> people will do it as a way to like increase impact sometimes people will do it because the drummer's not good at playing drums and they're like you know sometimes there are folks who will come into a recording scenario and basically go you know make me sound you know good <laughs> really good and uh and so that's a great it's a really great idea you know a great way to get ideas down like if someone's like not good at drums but their ideas are good awesome awesome tool and like also stylistically in like a lot of heavy music like metal hardcore it is like of the style the same way that autotune is of the style of pop music mm -hmm. it's just it's not there like you can have a great drummer you can have like the best drummer in the world but like chances are if it's of a certain style like they are going to probably sound replace your shit unless you're like absolutely no like hell no you're not sound replacing my you know my yeah. drums but I think I mean and I think I feel the same way about autotune where it's like if it's a if it's a stylistic thing and the level of musicianship is high awesome if it's used as a corrective thing for performances that are not all the way there like i can hear that technology working yes and especially too if you do it to a drummer who is dynamic and you know and uh like sound replacement can't it just it doesn't the, dy the dynamics don't feel human i'll put it that no, way no and there's a lot of nuances with the drummer and that gets like lost ghost notes it. and like yeah. all these little like you know yeah you well when has a drummer hit a snare with the perfect same velocity and dynamics at yeah. the exact center of the snare yeah. 100% of the time for a five-minute song. It's not even physically possible. Yeah. Even the best drummers. Yeah. So the, to hear 
a snare just have the exact same sound and a kick drum. Yeah. The whole time it does, it will take me out sometimes. And especially when it's very obvious, some people do it really well. Yeah. The musician and the engineer work together, make sure it's got a realistic feel to it. But most of the time it's, it's not, and it's obvious. And again, it's what you said, a great uh, example, the auto tune in pop music. It's true. When a singer is just a really good singer and they're using it as an effect because it's pop music. Yeah. It's fine, but sometimes they're an awful single singer, and you can hear all of the uh, uh, uh. <laughs> digitized, digitization of their voice just like occurring in real time. And I don't know it. I I don't hate it because I just go. I guess I just don't have to listen to it. Yeah, you know, I'm not that upset. I'm not yeah, gonna exactly. My day. Yeah, it's like, I, do I have an opinion <laughs> on it? Yeah, of course I do. But like, do I like dwell on it? Like, <laughs> God, no. Some people do. Yeah, and I think all people do aren't in the positions we're in where we see this stuff all day, every day. We talk about it, we study it. It's part of most conversations. Working with clients around the world, when you just are a music listener, you can get quite in your way. I know a lot of people who are just big music enthusiasts, and they are so in their own way sometimes because they've, they've never seen under the curtain. They don't know how the sausage is made. Yeah. You know? And they will get really upset and get mad about band. I'm like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it, listen to the next Yeah, thing. yeah. There's, there's plenty a lot of, music. of good music out there. <laughs> yeah, you're one of those people that truly believe that there's always great music out there no matter where. Because I know a lot of people are like, there's no good music. Anymore. Oh, yeah, no. I And I and like I would even go as far as to say I believe if you're a true music lover, there is something of every style that you can find to love that transcends the style. And I think it's all about transcending the style. Like, mm. I'm not, like, I like some heavy music. I don't, like, sit and listen to heavy music all day. Like, some some folks are just, like, really, like, in that world. But, like, when I, like, there, yeah, there are definitely a few bands that I'm, like, this just, it it could be anything, but the way that they do this thing is just, it touches me really deep in my soul. And mm-hmm. you can't, like, like oh, what was the one that surprised? Oh, um, um, Pink Pantherus. That shit is so awesome. Do you Pink know this? Panther, no. It's like, it's like. I like the name. It's like <laughs> pop. It's like really, it's like young people, like popular on TikTok, like pop music. The song Boys a Liar Part 2 is so, so fucking good. It's. Just got a really awesome baseline, creative vocal melody. The production rocks. Like, everything about it is good. And I keep track of this. I have a playlist called A Bunch of Songs I Like. It's just all, all stuff that I'm like, ooh, yeah, this is great. Putting it on the list. And I don't really keep, you know, a ton of track of it. But occasionally folks will go, oh, what are you listening to? And I just go, oh, check this thing out. Yeah. Here's, here's here's a bunch of songs I like. Yeah. and uh, Like a Spotify? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And... And a few people were like, I couldn't believe you put this artist on because it's like very, like, very pop. Like, extre- like how many... I, You know what? I'm going to look this up right yeah. now. I'm so curious how many listeners this person has. And uh, it's a TikTok artist? It's like definitely like popular on TikTok. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to know what you think of this because I'm like, oh, damn, I, it's not loading down here. Oh, yeah, the internet down here is awful. It's like a little concrete box uh, never works well I'll, I'll <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say like well into the millions of listeners yeah. type thing and it's so like that you know whether it's like that sort of like hype it's not like hyper pop but it's of that sort of you know very, it's like ADD pop music you know yeah. and it's like that and like you know heavy music or like hardcore or like 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 pop, some pop country I think is like 
deeply, like, just so good. And I really feel like this trope of, like, you know, there's no good music or, like, or, like, there's no good or, like, I don't like this style of music. It's just, like, I really do believe, like, just open your heart a little bit and keep keep searching and something will something will reach in and mm-hmm. and uh before you even knew it you know you'll you'll be like wow this is amazing mm-hmm. and uh were you always like this or did it did it um the openness to different music or did it come from knowing well two things knowing so much about audio and sound now and and knowing how it's really just something that it exists literally in the air and how it evokes emotion could be depending on your circumstances and your life and your situations. Um, but also the fact that you work so much with music that you almost need to try, like you got to get out of rock and indie rock and alternative rock and experimental rock. I'm assuming that's a lot of the things you might be working that's, on. So like, that's like the large chunk exactly. of what so I you're like, yeah. I need to hear something else just to get a breather from, otherwise I'll be stuck in indie rock world forever. Yeah. And that's not fun. And it's like, look, <laughs> look, do I love mid-tempo indie rock? Like, yeah, obviously <laughs> I love mid-tempo indie rock. But I think, and, and the older I get, the, the stronger I feel about this too, like not just exploring other styles of music, but like doing stuff that's not music that's like explicitly not music i think just like having like life experience and i think that like dipping outside of usual listening or just whatever you're into you know whatever you intake on a regular basis looking you know looking beyond that scope and and seeing what else is out there is like there's no better way to get better than that like if you're really practiced at your craft and and you start to feel complacent or or, you know, like you're going through motions or whatever. It's just like, just look around you. Like, go, go yeah. for a drive. Go, go, you know, do listen to something you wouldn't listen to. Go to a place you wouldn't normally think to mm-hmm. go. Like, there's so much spice to go life. Go to a show, see a band you've never, like, you would yeah. normally not go to. Yeah, when the, when the pandemic restrictions started easing up, I would just, like, go. Like, if there was a free show, I live really close to the bottle. So it was like, if there was a free show at the bottle, I would just be like, yeah, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to go. Free Mondays. Yeah, and I wound up seeing some, like, total bangers there. It was awesome. Um, So you're over in Ukrainian Village? Yeah, like Humboldt. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I do love it there. But, yeah, I think think it's, like, really, it's so easy, I think, living here to just, like, be in your little – corner like i've lived in the same place in humboldt park for almost a decade now and it's like every time i leave and then come back i'm like oh damn i really do exist in this like few mile radius and sometimes i'll go a couple miles outside of the radius to to, like (laughs) bridgeport or like you know like portage park or like something like that but really like i i just went on a i went on a really long drive uh in november and that was awesome for me. for uh for what and where uh my sister was getting married and her husband's family's from the mississippi gulf coast so i drove down there and back like by biloxi yes yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy drive like really wild drive but it was like oh my god the country's so big and like it's one thing if you hop on a plane you get to a place and you're there but like taking that much time on the road is it, it it like took me so far physically, you know, of course, out mm-hmm. of my little zone and then doing the big loop and coming back through St. Louis. It was like, wow. Mm-hmm. 
I could do this anytime. Mm-hmm. And in fact, maybe I will. Maybe yeah. I'll start thinking about, I mean, like I'm, I'm already thinking about it. February, I've got like, I don't know, like five or six full lengths that I have to mix. And I keep thinking, you know, the way I like to work typically with mixed stuff is do all the, you know, the, uh, EQing a, a high Tom for a half hour type shit, uh, do that at home on my own time and then use the studio to like put the shine on it. Yeah. Cause I don't need to use the studio to EQ a high Tom and then a floor Tom for an hour. You yeah. Know? What I need that for is like, Oh, what, what could I run this through? And also of course, because the monitoring is so much better than what I have at home. It's like, Oh, now I can like hear stuff that I couldn't hear before. Mm-hmm. But I feel like doing, I like doing the grunt work on like, I mean, I've got monitors at home, but I'm like, I like working in headphones on my laptop mm-hmm. at a coffee shop, mm-hmm. like in places same, where same. where you probably like wouldn't want to do that. But but I think it's cool. I think it's an interesting way to work. And uh, I I love what well, you just said. I love doing that. Headphones, yeah. it's just great. simple Sennheiser HD 280s, and yeah. just go somewhere relatively quiet but public with some sunlight it's not some dark studio basement or yep. a dark dark studio warehouse man it's something about like being around other people who are also like you're like oh shit everyone else is working like i i got distracted but yeah. but no more now i'm back on track yeah. like i love seeing it too it's when nice. i go out to a coffee shop and i do see that person on their apple computer on logic with headphones and yep. they're like, I'm like <laughs> i peep i stare i'm like what are they Oh, they're EQing there. Oh. Like, wonder what yeah. they're working on. One of us. <laughs> One of us. <laughs> it does get uh, exhausting to be in a dark, dry, smellless like studio. It usually just smells like old gear. Yep. And like that's how this studio smells. When you get used to it, you don't notice it. But I in my bedroom upstairs, that's more like my office, and that's where I'll go to do all like mixing because I have monitors up there, I have headphones. Editing boots because I have these big windows and sunlight. And I'm looking at Sox Stadium right there, and I'm like, "Oh man, that's sick!" You yeah. can see the stadium. From yeah, because I'm on the I'm on the third floor, and it. I mean, Sox Park is maybe a quarter mile away. It's close. Yeah, it's very close. You could walk there in five minutes. You know, you know. A funny little aside: when I was driving here, and I was think, I you know, Parnell. I was like, Parnell, I what like why? What am I thinking about? That's on Parnell. And I was thinking and thinking and thinking. And, and it wasn't until I pulled onto the street that I was like, fucking Kathy D's. You ever go to Kathy D's? That sounds familiar. It's at like 37th and Parnell. It's like Is it a, a deli place? It's like I a do l- know, yeah. Little teeny deli yeah. place. And oh my God, I used to love going there. I need to go try it out because the last band that was here went there. And I think I think it was uh, this band from Brooklyn, <laughs> Why Bonnie. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. I do know of them. Why Bonnie? I'm pretty sure they went there because they were telling me about it. Because a lot of bands will come here, yeah, and they'll you know they'll look on their phone and find stuff that I may or may not have been to yet, That's and they'll so tell me awesome. about it. You know, because they're always trying to get food, and and I'm like, huh, that place. I'll have to try it. Yeah, it. I I I, I have heard of it only recently, so I need to go try it. It's on it, 37th and Barnett. It rocks. Okay. It's. When I figured out that that place existed, oh, when I was man, back this when is I was be working, dangerous. At, I shouldn't have found out about oh, it. Oh yeah, no, back <laughs> when I was at Pallet. And but the thing is, they close at like four, oh. so it's like you just gotta go get get it for lunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what their what their hours are now, but at least back when I was at Pallet, there's was, nothing better than a good deli place. Oh, it's so, like it's so essential. Italian or Jewish, an, a, a deli place. Yep, is where it's at. Yeah, and you, you came originally from. Pennsylvania? Yeah, from, Is that from Philly, yeah. Okay. I, I moved here when I was 18. And, for college. Yeah. And what, what year did you graduate from college? Uh, 2013. Okay, so you're 20, 32? 
34. 34. I'm 34, too. I, I just turned nice, dude. Hell yeah. Me, too. Look at that. Yeah. I graduated from in 2014, but I took, I went to school a bit longer. Yeah. So, but we're, yeah. When when did you turn 34? Uh, End of November. So, just oh, a couple I'm couple December 14th. Damn, that's crazy. We're like the same just exact a, yeah, age. Just a couple of, <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. I thought you were like a year younger. Yeah. Or something. I knew we were close, I but I didn't know we were young. like, <laughs> we're like, a couple weeks apart. Damn, that's crazy. 89. 80s, yeah. 80s was a good time. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> we got we got to see some some crazy shit. You know what I've been I think about this all the time about how like did when you went to school was it for audio stuff or Yeah, when I went to Columbia it was for audio stuff. Okay. Yeah. Like okay, so when when we started going to school, I think Bandcamp was in its first year. Spotify wasn't here yet. No, it was not. And the last year that I was in school was Spotify's first year in America. Mm-hmm. So, like, everything that I could have learned about the music industry just, like... Completely changed. Every, yeah, every, <laughs> everything changed. I never had a prayer. It was just, like... No, yeah. It, even the stuff that I learned in audio classes there versus what I'm teaching now, literally yeah. in those exact same classes, yeah. physically the same room, is different. When I was there, there was no way you can record something that has a bunch of other noise... HVAC, bleed, people yeah. talking, and get rid of it. It's just not possible. You can do some EQ, yeah, but it's that's not, crazy. They, but now you can just get rid of it. They didn't have, like, the noise reduction. Not in 2010, 11, 12. That's crazy. Well, they may have had it, but it wasn't good enough Yeah, it to wasn't like, R, like RX or something oh, like that. Oh, now yeah. I have students that I'll give them recording sessions in here, but it's live, so the vocal has cymbal bleed and stuff. And it'll get rid of, like, 99% of it without... Yeah. It'll get rid of 99% of the sound... And maybe affect the actual voice by like five ten percent. So it's not too bad. And I give it five years, and it's gonna be a hundred percent on both ends. Oh yeah, because I still can tell there's a little bit of strange artifacting yeah. in the person's voice because it's like these frequencies exist in the same exact place. Yes. So to get rid of one, it's it, I always tell to explain to people who are confused by this. I'm like, if you have a wave file, and then you listen to a streaming MP3 on Spotify versus the original wave file on a computer that's never been compressed. The way that they sound similar and different is the the algorithm just pulls out random artifacts in dynamic and in sampling yeah. here and there, just a little bit here and there, so where it could still have the shape and the look of the same thing, but it's it is different. You'll have a lot less low end, a lot less high end, and a lot less dynamic change between high and low volumes. And the way it works with the same thing with the voices, it's going to take out certain things. You might not notice it fully, but it is noticeable. But it's getting freaky good. It's getting, like, yeah. really good. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. Same thing with um, amp simulators. When I, back oh, in the day, they were like, oh, yeah. amp simulators suck. Like, because they did. Oh, they're crazy now. Now, yeah. I'm like, I can't tell sometimes. Like, like, a really good one, like a nice, expensive one made by, like, Waves or uh, uh, Universal Audio. Yeah. Something that's a good, uh, good even tie, just really good companies. I cannot, especially once it's mixed with, like, a, an acoustic drum kit and vocals, and it's hiding behind that stuff. I, I have no idea. I'm like, wow, this has gone a long way. When I was in school, they were telling us like, yeah, that's those are fine, but they're not good. And they, and here we are. Now we have to teach and learn something completely different. Amp simulators, uh, different AI that's going to take out different parts of sound bleeding into something. Yeah, you know, you it's know, it's remarkable. Thinking about like all of that kind of stuff, uh, I, I, uh, and and like specifically how much the technology has improved. I think I think tape plugins are just as good as tape. If you're looking for the tape sound, mm-hmm. they're 
Yeah. I at, at one point, maybe like three years ago, I came into a wildly, wildly cheap uh, Tascam 38, the half-inch eight-track machine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took it to the tech, got it up and running. And I, as I was transporting it back, like, I don't know, like one of the VU meter lights went out and it brought me back. I used to own a Fostex R8, the quarter-inch eight-track. And that had just... It would work, and then it would stop working. And I would open it up, and I couldn't fix it. And I had to take it to the tech, you know, just like endless money pit tape mm-hmm. scenario. And and it just, like, when this VU meter went out, I, I was like, oh, shit, I forgot. These are, these are, like, a lot of maintenance. And what can I do? What can I do to make sure that this is actually something I need? So I set up, I, you know, set up the tape machine, ran some stuff through it, set up a couple of tape plugins, apply them to the same clip, Bounced them out A, B, C. Didn't tell myself, or didn't tell, I, I played them for a friend, didn't tell my friend uh, what was what. And for me, just listening to it, I was like, I, like, maybe I can tell, but I don't really think I can tell. And I played it for my friend. And he was just like, yeah, I, I don't know. They all sound, they all sound different flavors of good to me. Yeah. And I, and in that moment, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to sell this thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't need this. Yeah. But then I had last year, I, I, uh, my, my feeling on tape changed again. I, uh, I was playing drums in this band called Dust Star who's based in LA and they did their first record entirely on a quarter inch eight track machine. Oh, wow. And, and the record is awesome. It's, and it sounds great. It's really rich. There's a lot of overdubs. And I was just thinking, how the hell did you do all these overdubs? And my friend Cameron was like, yeah, you know, we were, we were like singing harmonies and doing shaker at the same time. And like, you know, we would have to do like all these overdubs basically live yeah. in like one space. And there were certain, you know, when he was telling me about the record, like certain things that like there's a take of one song where like he, you know, he clipped, he like uh, didn't quite make full contact with the snare at like an important part. And he and the guitar player were just looking at each other. It's both saying, like, keep going, got to keep going. That was the take that they wound up using. And I think that now my feeling is that tape is all about the process. It's about the process that it forces you into. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't really understand that when they go, oh, I want to record to tape. It's like... Honestly, if you if you want it to sound like that, just like use a bunch of use a bunch of tube shit or you know, tube tube plugins are better than they've ever been. Use the tape plugin and uh, and it'll sound great. Like uh, you ever use Sketch Cassette? Mm-mm. Man, you should check out Sketch Cassette. It to to my ear, it just it sounds like a cassette. And there's a billion different configurations. And I'm like, since I got this plugin, I'm just like, why why would I record on a on a tape in less for the process. Mm-hmm. But the process is really valuable. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found like the, the <laughs> like if, if you're someone who values, uh, what sort of innovation can be spurred from having your hand forced into a particular place by technology, tape is the way mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. It just forces you to go, well, that, that vocal take was great, and you know, there's there's one line that I sung kind of funky, but like, that's that's the vibe. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with it. Yeah. And whereas, like, if you're in a computer, you just go, oh, well, I'll just you know, yeah, I'll punch that in or I'll comp it from another take. And I, to me, it's like that's truly what the magic of tape is. Yeah, I think that's why people loved it for for so long for you know, 
50, 60 years of using it primarily is that it puts you in the moment. It makes the engineer or producer of the band have to think actively in every take, every moment, intention, be prepared. It's a lot. It's a very much a, uh, a involvement, and it's truly tangible, the situation, everything about it, whereas in digital, again, it's a lot less expensive, way more open to mistakes, and you can do a lot with it. And it kind of reminds me of why people enjoy vinyl and digital. Um, like, am I going to go in my car or go for a run or a bike ride with a turntable? <laughs> no. But it's great to have Spotify or iTunes or YouTube for those moments. Yeah. But at home, I'll show you after the podcast, my living room, great sound system, tons of vinyl, and people who don't, who are into it, be like, why do you have, like, just listen on your phone. It's like, no, because I sit right there yeah. in that equilateral triangle. The experience. And I have to yeah. sit there and put on a vinyl and I dust it off and I clean the stylus with this little toothbrush thing and I, I get everything right and get the right, I have a tube preamp and I get that at the right volume relative to the master volume. And, you know, I got hockey pucks under everything so nothing vibrates. And it's just <laughs> like, it's a, whole, awesome. it's a whole thing. And it's like, I sit there with, with the record. Does it sound as good as a lossless wave file of that same thing? No, because it's got a higher noise floor. It's got all these yeah. artifacts and dust and, sta- and static, and the vinyl gets worn down over time. But it, it's the intention. I'm listening to every song. I'm thinking about it. I'm having conversations with people about it. We're looking at pictures. I, I look at all the, the liner notes, who produced it, <laughs> oh, where God, it came that from. Rocks. All of this, yeah. Even the artist, oh, this, this is a cool album cover. Who made this? Boom, it's right there. And it's just fun. It, it gets you into it. It's the same thing versus taking a class online versus in person. Oh, you know, wow. That's a great analogy. It, yeah. It's like that. It's like, yeah, you could still like get something out of it, but you learn, you get so much more out of the music experience, the technical parts of it, and the act that you have to be proud. You can't just like leave the room or pause it or skip and go to another song. Yeah. You, you want to skip, you got to lift up that sauce and look for the lines and find it and drop it gently. And it, it's a, it, it's, it reminds me of recording on tape when you're an engineer or a musician, how much more intentionality, effort, thought, you, you have to accept stuff. If you want to try something as a listener, go back and listen to old records from the 60s and 70s, like really, really listen to them, not for the musicality, but for the mistakes and yeah. the errors. And they're oh, everywhere. Oh, hell yeah. Because these awesome. are like four, eight tracks, maybe 16, quarter inch, half inch tape. Once you start getting to people who had like really nice two inch tape moving at, you know, like 30 inches per second, um, and higher end gear, like in the late, like early 80s, you notice it gets a lot cleaner, a lot better. They can do more overdubs and stuff. But it is cool to listen to that music. I hear so many errors. When I was a kid, I used to think these are the best musicians. Everyone's perfect. And now I keep hearing the littlest errors and everything. Even like these Radiohead records, I was listening to them. It was a record, I think it was like Hail to the Thief. Great, huge production album, big record. And I was just finding all these little nuances, like errors, like a an extra note was hit by like the guitar player. Yeah. And it only took so much analyzing that you and I are able to do now to find that stuff. When I was a kid, I never heard, heard any of it. And now I just like it. I'm like, it makes me feel better about when I make music, not yeah. to be so obsessed with this perfection. Like, And I tell bands all the time, I'm not sure wh- how you go about this because we both have had to learn to be like psychologists for, for bands. <laughs> yes. A lot of trickery, a lot of white lies going on just to keep the peace. And I always tell bands that whatever you do, the listener, the consumer, the patron, the whoever, they think that's what was meant to be. They think that that's what the intention was. Even if you like literally flub a word, yeah. they'll just be like, that's what it that's what they're doing. That's what the creative intention was, right? 
They have no idea that you made a mistake. They have no idea that this wasn't supposed to be that way. Why would they? Same thing with movies. When you watch a movie and there's errors and set errors that are not right, viewer, most viewers don't, viewers don't catch it. They yeah. don't know. And they just, that's just the way the movie was made. Like, what am I supposed to do? I have no idea. They have nothing to A, B it. They can't compare and contrast yeah, it against no anything. There's no point of reference at all. Zero point of reference. So don't be so hard on yourself when making a record with this a perfection notion. I've seen it drive people crazy. I'm sure you have too. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had a really awesome experience recording this band called None this summer, and they're all they're all really great None, players. like N-U-N? Uh-huh. None. Yeah, it's it's like some, like, true Chi-Town, like, old-school math rock type shit. Um, nice. Yeah, it's, they're, they're really great. But so they're writing these, and especially the drummer was writing these, like, really, like, not like, you know, overly verbose parts, but definitely like pretty verbose parts. And there would be moments, they were like, first of all, they were like, yeah, we want to record with no click. I'm like, great, let's do it. No click, fuck it. Like, let's ride. It's that's my favorite. That's that's how you want your, your <laughs> like, if that's the vibe, then let's do it. And it was great. And um, it was really funny because I've never recorded this drummer before. And... I kept noticing, like, being a drummer, I kept noticing, like, oh, you kind of missed that snare hit. Like, do you want, or, like, this fill was, like, better in this other take. Do you want me to, like, you know, comp this? And sometimes you'd be like, you know, actually, yeah, I do. And sometimes I'd point something out, and he's like, nah, it's fine, leave it. And mm. he, I would be like, here's a thing that, you know, maybe is, like, dragging or, like, you know, you, you didn't make full contact with the drum or whatever, and he would just be like, yeah, leave it. And it was like that with the bass player and with the guitar player, too, and with the the guitars was maybe my favorite part because we doubled all the guitars. And so when there is a fuck up in one of them, it just kind of contrasts with the other one. Mm. It's not like there's only one guitar and if you, you know, if you miss it, it's just not right. It's like there's something to kind of mm-hmm. push back against. And there, there was like one part where dude played like a chord that was like not the right chord in the sequence. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do you want to punch that? And he was like, you know, actually... Like, I want to leave that in there. And I was like, yes. I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> I love Cause that. Because sometimes, you know, and especially doing this full time like this, it's uh, it's easy to kind of get into this, like, I noticed something. Do you want to, do you want to, like, do it? And it's so refreshing to to go, hey, here's this thing. And someone's response is, yeah, that's, I'm I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's like, I want it in there. And I, it was such a cool experience because it was like, it was almost like they were like choosing the style of recording on tape to an extent. Yeah. Where they're just like, yeah, you know, we can, we can comp it, but why would you do that? Yeah. Those are my favorite the, bands. The vibe is with. right. I love it when a band's like, yeah, we're just going to like do a couple takes, no click. We don't, we want to kind of keep it raw, keep what we're doing in it live, not overdubbing. I'm like, this is, I love it. Yep. The easiest to work with. Easiest to get through, <laughs> fastest stuff in production, and it, it always has a sense this rawness, authenticity to it. But I mean, polished music's great too when everything is precise. Pre- I like to call it precision music, where <laughs> everything is just like exactly where it needs to be. That, that's what we that's what we aspire to when you go into the pop realm of things. It's this precision music, and that's great too. It's just a different approach, and I, I think it's yes. good to have all of it, especially. It's nice to have all of it from your perspective as you're in your job. Imagine if every single band was that 
Chicago <sighs> math rock band just playing it like that. You'd be like, That'd I be am terrible. Exactly. You need precision music for that music to also be valuable. Yes, you need all of it. Yeah. And you need that, you need that, hey, we're going to leave that fuck up in for precision music to also be valuable. <laughs> it goes, the street goes both ways. Yeah, you need the people who are obsessed with precision in their production to hear that stuff and let them know. It's like, it's okay. People like that. Like, my my personal preference is, like, the guts of it are tight. If, you know, if there's some humanity in there, then even better. <laughs> but, like, when when shit's a little rough around around the peripheral edges of things, like, to me, that's, like, real deep magic. Yeah. Is, like... And I, I've been just leaning into this more and more, and I really try to like when when people work with me, if they have an inkling of like, oh, maybe like maybe I don't have to do all of this at the studio. I'm like, yeah, oh, you're do- oh, you're working on synth stuff that you would totally benefit from like having time to explore on your own. Do it at home. Bring in the files. We'll send it through some like just you know whatever cool preamps and. Give it some flavor, and is it going to have the same fidelity as it would if you did it here? No, but you're going to get the sound you want. You're going to get the mm-hmm. take you want. And I feel like there's something really valuable about peripheral elements uh, having like, having the time and the agency to explore without thinking about money or someone else's being on someone else's timetable or like any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's like, like how many times have you listened to a song and it's like, great. The performance is great. The, the melodies are great, but what catches you is something off to the side, Mm -hmm. like a noise or a, or a creak in the floorboard or like, Mm -hmm. like sometimes the creak in the floorboard is the hook. And I feel like allowing people the space to feel encouraged to explore that is like it's it's magic it's awesome it is cool when you do when you are there for that moment which very few people are unless you are in a studio where that magic happens something an air i had it recently with the record i'm working on with the band where they wanted to use this old um tube microphone that was a cardioid microphone for those listening it just means it picks up mostly in the front of it not behind it but there was no orientation or like emblems on it to show you which <laughs> way was which. Oh no! So I just like took a guess based on the fact that the 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 name of the microphone was on one side. So I was like, "That's probably the front side of it." Usually, yeah, it wasn't, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so I'm recording these vocals, but they're like backup vocals, and they're also like talking vocals in a different language. Trying, they're trying to we're trying to create like a sound design of like an old lady speaking in Russian telling someone what they can and can't do, like a, a little girl. But it just, but her voice is from behind the microphone, so it sounds kind of far away and, and hollow, has that hollow emptiness, doesn't have a lot of low end or high end, just like a lot of mid-range, and it sounds like it's in a different room. And it ended up sounding like it was in a kitchen, and it was like a grandma yelling at her kid. So we ended up using it and pan it off to the side, buried wow. a little bit, and we never <laughs> fixed it. And we're like, this ended up sounding cool. And she's like, why is it sound like I was like, we're singing to the wrong end of the, like the back end yes. of the microphone. But it ended up being a cool thing. We just left. It's not an effect with EQ. It just naturally sounds yeah. that way. And we just left it. And I'm like, it's cool. And I have it on a couple tracks. And I'm like, that's, and that's that moment where like, nobody knows we did that. It almost sounds like we artificially made it with EQ because you can. But that's But we just, didn't. It's just the way it is. It was just like a mistake. It was an, an accident. And I love it. I'm like, that's the stuff that's fun when you're in that moment. You see it. And just, yeah, changing a microphone angle using a different one. Um, 
found sound effects, doing field recordings or sound design in a, in a record is always really fun, trying to create like a, a story that's going along with the music. I'm not sure if you do that kind of stuff often, but it is fun when it happens. Oh, I mean, it. like, actually, I had, uh, yeah, my friend Andy's record, there's the ending of this song. They were like, yeah, I really want this. I, I, I'm I'm going to go do this and, like, take this field recording. I want I want it to be, like, you know, like, raining and, like, cars passing and what have you. And we were talking, and it was raining outside in this moment. And I was like, you know, you should, when we're done this session, like, you should go walk around Humboldt Park. Like, I'm sure you'll get what you want. And then, you know, we're leaving. We walk out the door. We're going to our cars, and it's raining and there are cars passing, and my friend takes out their phone and hits record, and we're just walking. You, you know, my keys are jangling on my belt loop, and we walk to our cars, and, you know, we say goodbye, and, you know, the next session, they're like, yeah, actually, that that's that recording is the right recording. So, nice. like, let's put it in the session. Yeah. And we lined it up, and, like, the way that the arc of the whole thing worked in contrast with the music, which was, you know... I think it's like pretty much just like a free time, like guitar and singing part mm -hmm. with really ambiguous tempo. And it was like this, this arc of this whole thing coalescing. It was just the most perfect. We both yeah. were like, I can't believe that this worked. Yeah. But it's so awesome when it works. Yeah. It's, it's really. And it happens all the time if you try. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people who are afraid to do anything experimental within recording. They want the precision. They want it almost mathematical. You know, what's a you funny know? thing that I think about. I, and I, I think about it more and more now is like, so like, you know, tape was the standard and then tape became an effect. And then, you know, digital was the standard, but then like digital loss became an effect. So like realistically, an iPhone recording is going to be an effect in, you know, in the future. It is now. It, I mean, I guess it is now, but like it's re it's going to be like a cassette in, yeah. in like 10 years. Absolutely. <laughs> and like, and, and, uh, MP3s, that's an effect too. Like mm -hmm. all, all like digital, you know, bit crushing, like all this kind of shit is like it all. I guess this is a long way of saying, if you have a method available to capture something, just fucking do it. Yeah, just, anything. Yeah, anything. I, and I, if you get the thing that you need to record, I mean, there's so. I just think there's so much. I was talking with a friend about this last night. Like so much of the magic of everything involved in making and recording music is the shit that happened when you're looking the other way. Like mm -hmm. if I'm looking over here and I see something out of the corner of my eye and I go, wait a minute, what was that? And that winds up being like, you know, the most powerful idea that could have tied the whole thing together. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like the mo to me, like, you know, all, understanding all the technicality of what I'm doing is important, but, but being, uh, being like spiritually in tune with the the shit that there's no way to put it, you know, there's no way to quantify, but everyone experiences mm -hmm. who does this, you know, with intention and for long enough. I think it's like everyone has this shared experience of like, yeah, I was just looking, looking in one direction. I noticed something out of the corner of my eye or I heard something and, and all of a sudden it just like opened up a new portal in the, in the song or in the recording, or mm -hmm. maybe I learned to, you know, like I had the mic, I had the mic pointed backwards, but actually that was the best thing that could have happened. Exactly. Like, like that's, it's like learning the rules is great, 
but you can't blaze a new trail if you're going on the old trail. You just have to try some shit and, yeah. and not be scared of uh like I mean, yeah, like in like there are there are no rules. It's yeah, it's like no no digital clipping and uh Is this what you wanted? Like is this what yeah, people want? Do you feel like this reflects the thing that you imagined in the truest way? And if it does, then it's just like that's that's the purpose of documenting it. I sure. Think. Isn't it kind of interesting? You've been recording for like since 2010, you said? Yeah, yeah. So we're coming up on 14 years. I'm I'm pretty similar. <laughs> I'm pretty similar Damn. to about 2010 was when I started like really doing it. I was messing around with tape recording stuff before that, but nothing serious. And in that time, it's given me a whole like different perspective on my life and society and how things are made and what it means to make something and how it feels. And there are very few jobs where you get to understand mostly all the technicality, you know, which how it's happening, and the creative side of making that thing happen and get captured by it, which is being uh, a recording engineer, audio engineer, someone like that. Because you kind of have to know technology really well through and through and the creativity and how do you make something and then harness it? How do you capture it? And not a lot of careers and jobs have to do both. You may, Maybe if you're a cinematographer, you have the similar idea of like, how to capture something with the camera and how to make it look a certain way and be a certain way. But it that's a little bit more uniform and, and one direction. Whereas an audio engineer, you're hop, you have so many different things, so many different microphones, so many different ideas, trying to translate from what the artist who doesn't know a lot about it, what they want on the other end. Um, even if you work with producers, do you work with producers a lot? Do you end up becoming kind of like the producer for the band? I, you know, it's, I feel like production is such a nebulous term now, like yeah. more than ever. Like yes, it is. But but uh, I'm the. I feel like I'm the kind of like I used to just be like I used to be like you know like I'm not a producer. I'm like okay, like yeah, obviously I'm I'm I'm, I'm a producer. It's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I I feel like my if someone wants me to contribute, I'll contribute. But I am a huge believer in, like, everyone, you know, you spend your whole life listening to music and you spend your whole life developing your tastes. And so many people, I think, are intimidated by the idea of recording or mixing or production that they don't even really consider the idea that they could actually have all the yeah. answers. And so I feel like I try to play, like, I, like, sometimes I, I, Sometimes I'll, there've been situations for sure where like I'm the engineer and someone else is kind of calling the creative shots. And I like doing that for sure. I mean, it's less work than doing both at the same time, but I feel like my, what I want out of being a producer is to help people to access their own producer in, within them. Oh, uh, yeah. Cause it, it's like, I, I made a record for, for my friend Elaine. Uh, I guess this was like two, two years ago. Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. Um, yeah, we started in the summer of 2021 and this, like, it was like a week before recording and we had rehearsed the songs and she was playing guitar on all of them and she was going to have her partner at the time, 
really fantastic guitar player um, play guitar on the whole record. And like a week before tracking, I was like, hey, whatever you want to do is okay, but I think you should play guitar on this record. Like you have a good way of playing. You have a way that is unto you. And you're so used to like playing and singing these songs together. Like you should, like I think I think you should do it and I think you can do it. And she was really appreciative that I said something. She wound up playing all of her guitar parts on the record and was like so, so it, it was so gratifying for me to see how pleased she was with herself at mm. being able to do that. And I felt like that kind of thing unlocked all sorts of like, she had like a, you know, billion vocal harmonies in every song and they're all like totally bananas. So that was something that, you know, was a comfort going in, but there were all sorts of like other ends of the spectrum that like, at least I would like to think that that kind of unlocked this ability of like, oh, I can, like production is just imagination. It's just having an imagination. Yes. That's, that's literally. Find the little kid in you. That's all it is. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people think that it's this like, and I mean like, yeah, I guess you have, you know, if you want to actualize it, you have to have a certain amount of technical knowledge so you can know how to find the thing that mm. you're imagining. But like, that's kind of my job as the engineer. I was and, just going to say, like, sometimes that's up to the engineer. Producer, yeah. a lot, like a great example, he's at a big level, but like Rick Rubin oh, yeah. knows nothing about engineering, nothing about so, technical stuff. So he says. So he says, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he knows nothing. I think, how could you be doing this for 40 years and not have learned something? Yeah. But I think he just does. He just doesn't do what we do and, and dive into it and sit there and twist things. I'm sure he has an idea of it and can explain it and articulate it when he talks to someone. But he's just an ideas. Our most producers are just idea people that have a slightly different objective perspective because they're not the band. They're not in it. Although some bands do have their own, like they are. But if you're just thinking a classic producer is just a person there not doing the twistings of potentiometers or anything, and they're not writing the songs. They're just coming up with ideas and bridging them. Yeah. You don't need to know too much technically. You just need to have you, ideas. You know, in a way, I, I feel like, I I don't even know if I've put this together before, but I feel like actually uh, giving, uh, giving artists, trying to, you know, help them unlock their, their inner producer is like, I feel like in a way the, if you embrace this idea of just, it's just imagination, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the technical elements of it, it's almost like more freeing than if you know the technical elements. Yeah. Cause then like I've had people be like, you know, I'm hearing this sound or I'm hearing this, like, you know, this texture or whatever, like, and I'm, I'm just like, okay, how do I make the texture like the thing that they're imagining? But I never would have imagined that texture because when I'm, you know, not that I don't do this with my own stuff, but like I oftentimes will think sort of within the palette that I know I have access to. I won't necessarily think here's this like sound I'm like hearing that's very specific. How can I, what can I do to, you know, to bring that to life? And so when someone's like, like, like I was yesterday, I was recording uh, and, uh, and this artist was like, I want the sound of an, we have like a tube organ at the studio. And he was like, hey, I want this, the sound of like an organ filling like an empty warehouse. And we were like trying, they were like, yeah, I, I want to put this one, you know, condenser like kind of far away. And I was like, 
I get what you're going for, but this isn't going to work unless you really boost the volume of the organ. Because what you're going to get if the organ's at, you know, medium low volume and the mic is far away is you're just going to get a noisy recording. It's going to be just as much noise as it might be signal. So we have to figure out a way and they wound up, we tried some ideas and they wound up going, actually, I want the exact opposite. And I was like, okay, great. But it was so much fun (laughs) to think about like, they had a very specific idea, minimal knowledge technically, but a very specific idea. And again, just like a lifetime of curated, personally curated taste. Mm -hmm. And so they, it was really cool to be like, how do I get this to be what you want it to Mm -hmm. be? How do I just remove myself from this and just, just try and get this thing to be like I can imagine different ways it could play out, but it's like if if I do it and I think it sounds good and you're not happy with it, then it's not right. Yeah. Like period. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's very. I mean, like ha- also having, you know, taught myself pretty much everything, and like I never, I didn't, you know, I didn't study it, and I don't have a degree in it, and I really believe if I can learn it, anyone with an ear can learn it. And, yeah. the, and, and, you know, and that like knowledge is for sharing. Like I don't, obviously there's a subset of audio world that's very, uh, protective about, you know, their, their tricks and their secrets and, and what have you. And I'm just like, if I tell someone, uh, you know, a piece of equipment I'm using or a way that I'm, you know, positioning a mic or the way that I'm tuning a drum and someone takes that and steals my clientele, well then good on you because you're doing a better job than I am. And that's like, the the world of music can only grow from sharing knowledge, really. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when I, when I record with people and we're collaborating on, you know, production ideas, it's, I'm like, as much as anyone wants to pick my brain, like, let's go because... Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can open up your world, and sometimes people just go, you know, this is I, I don't, this is outside of my wheelhouse. I just kind of want to leave that stuff to you, and I'm like, you know, that's that's fine too. But I really do think that like it's it's just as simple as realizing that it's it's like it's like fucking drawing. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's like it's like painting. It's like you, <laughs> if you can if you can imagine it, and you spend enough time, or it's it'd be like it'd be like. Yeah, it's like if you have an idea for a painting and you tell the idea to a painter and the painter paints it. Yeah. And you like direct them or something. Yeah. Like it's, but a lot of people don't think that they can paint. I mean, I grew up thinking I, I, you know, I, I come from a family of artists on one side and, uh, and there are those who practice are like all just so good. And I grew up being like, I, I can't draw. Yeah. I, you know, how could, how could I even, you know, my hands aren't, aren't super steady with that, uh, that medium. And, uh, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh no, I I actually, I can draw. I just have a, a, I have a way of doing it. Mm -hmm. That's not that. Yeah. It'll be your own way. But it's okay. And it's like the same thing. It's like, oh, great. You don't, you don't know how to, how to make two mics recording the same source in phase. Well, that, you know, that's okay. Like, can you imagine a way in which something could sound that, especially if it's like, how can we get this to sound like this from the source? Mm-hmm. Like I had, uh, same, same, uh, organ person we were, we were working on a, oh, actually that's out now. It's the, uh, 
the last Harvey Waters record, there's a song called Suffer, and we recorded it. So the, my studio now is in this big warehouse, and uh, yeah, and so my friend sort of explained how they wanted it to sound, and I was like, what if we record you at the mouth of the door of the studio, like big concrete warehouse, very long hallways, and I put a pair of uh, 414s, one really far on the left, one really, really far on the right. They sat in the doorway and I put a you know mic up to their guitar and uh, I think they overdubbed the vocals, but it was like, so it was this guitar part being played into this hallway, just this cavernous reverb. And there were like machine noises going on while we were recording from other rooms. And it was, I, I like, I wouldn't have thought to do something like that. And this mm-hmm. is someone who doesn't have really, you know, technical knowledge, but like, what a, what a crazy creative thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then I wound up taking that a step further and going, oh, cool, we have two takes. Like, let's use one room mic from one take and one room mic from another take. So you have oh. disparate machine noises mm-hmm. on either side. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's like amazing to me what people who, you know, quote unquote, don't know what they're doing will come up with. Ideas. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it it stems from that uh, endless curiosity. You got to bring out that curiosity that you had when you were a kid, and just apply it to some mics and and experimenting, and you'll find out quickly what you might have enjoyed, what you didn't, what worked, what didn't. But so many of those things. Sometimes I miss experimenting like that. Uh, you get used to certain ways, and you just kind of keep it the same, rinse and repeat. When I first started, I would do the wildest stuff. Put mics in like the, <laughs> I'd put mics like in the HVAC and put my amp like my bedroom. <laughs> That's awesome. Face it towards the uh, HVAC, turn off the HVAC, of course, and then just record the sound. It sounded like it sounded like a telephone filter, but all or analog and telephone filter on a. A big like steel plate reverb. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was but, imagining. Like, but further away because oh, the sound awesome. had to travel far, and had a different characteristic too because it wasn't a flat piece of metal; it was actually a three dimensional tube. And but it's all analog, all organic, and it sounded so cool and it was fun to make and it was difficult to do because we didn't have really long cables. It was yeah. a whole mess, but it ended up being cool. And I've used it for records, and I used it to have a sound fade from like a, a mic, a mic to. Um, amplifier and it's just a clean guitar and it slowly fades to like this distant metallic sounding guitar that's and, so tight <laughs> yeah it's fun and it was cool and I'll, I'll never forget it and could i have done that with just eq and reverbs and a little bit of manipulation and trial and error probably yeah probably could have been really consistent but just the act of doing it what that does to you as a musician an artist a creative gets the the ball rolling on other creative stuff. It, it, that's why you just have to do it. Just yeah. do it, and it'll start creating your own way of doing things. It doesn't have to be... Yes, you can always create stuff in a computer now. You can do everything now in a computer. You know one thing I absolutely love doing that I, I've come back around to that I when I when I started like really doing it uh, when I was at the Owlery, pretty much every single recording I would do, I would put a room, like a condenser as high as I could possibly get it, as far away from the drum kit as I could possibly get it, as sort of like a, like an idiot version of an Albini effect type of thing where it's a little bit flammy. Mm-hmm. And over the years, it, it was, I mean, I didn't not know what I was doing, but I knew a lot less about what I was doing. Sure. Uh, but it was sort of this like, 
it was an easy way to make stuff sound really like make the room sound feel really powerful. Could I have just put a mic a little closer to the kit and used a sample delay? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely could have done that. <laughs> and but it's not it's not the same and and I would say like in the last year or so I've really I don't know what inspired me to do it, but I started doing it again. And mm. I've I've I'm finding now that with you know a decade of of uh, ear growth and and just listening experience that I figured out a way to implement this in a way that feels a little bit more natural, less mm. certainly like like taking up less room in in frequency town. Uh, but it's it's I think yeah, just try and try and do shit all the time. I mean, there's all the time. it's like a I don't know, it's like a Albini or like Bob Weston quote or something that it's like you know every time I record I try to do at least one thing different mm. than I did before. That's good, and I think it's such a good. Like I feel like I feel like uh, abiding by rules hard and fast is kind of like you're gonna get into trouble. But if you see a rule and you're like, "Ooh, I want to try that rule out and see see how it bodes," it's like, yeah, trying trying something new is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I I, uh, I I'm still really scratching my head about it, but I've just have you ever used uh, Fire M two hundred one? The microphone? Yeah. I have, but only at Columbia. I okay. I, I have one, and I have, like, I've tried shooting it out with other stuff. It is my favorite mic on snare drum. Easily. Doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't matter what kind of snare drum. Like, it's, it's like, it could be steel. It could be wood. It could be deep. It could be shallow. That thing does the trick every time. And I'm, like, thinking with that sort of ideology in mind, I'm, like... I'm I'm gonna be jumping for joy if I find something that beats that out because mm. I'm so used to working with that that it's like great I know how to make it sound the way I want to with relative ease but like one of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna stumble into something that's <laughs> that's maybe you know more right for for an application. Have you used the Sennheiser 441 on snare? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think they I think those are great sounding mics i feel like it depends what kind of like like a, th those can be crispy in a way that's cool but i feel like uh the beefy thick kind of factor can be missing mm. from what i've experienced yeah um and i'm like i'm like i love i love good crack but i love that's a hell of a sentence. Yeah, I was uh, just going to say, I was, people uh, don't know what you're talking I was like, about. I'm I talking love, about the crack <laughs> of the snare drum when you hit it and it goes, gah. Um, <laughs> I love good crack. Yep. But, uh, but I feel like, I feel like the, the thickness, when, when you hit a snare drum in the room and you hear that thick, low tone emanate from it, I'm like, I want that just as much as I want that cutting high end mm -hmm. thing to happen. And... Yeah, it's, the snare is the arch nemesis of the engineer. Oh, it's it's by far the hardest thing. It's so hard. It's so hard. You know what else is really hard too? I, I just like is is sort of like one of these like endless life journeys. Is like I, I am like absolutely, and I mean I guess circumstantially depending, but like generally speaking, I'm like aggressively anti uh, basketball sounding kick drum. Mm -hmm. I I I'm always trying to get the just the most like thumping thing that I can get without the click mm -hmm. unless it should be clicky. Mm -hmm. But I feel like generally, at least for, for me personally, I'm like, I love my kick drum to just be a big 
thumping. So no sound hole then? No sound sound hole. Sound hole. But but see I I uh see see how how minimally basketballed out I can get it to be. <laughs> like if it's if you know, if the internal kick mic sounds like basketball, how like what can I do to make it not sound like that but still get the kind of click thing that I like, but without the big hollow yeah. thing full of air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it is kind of a basketball if you think about it but <laughs> it is a basketball sound but uh yeah i, I it's drums are hard drums take years to like so get hard. right and be okay with the situation and what to do i mean it's not because it's so many sound sources so many different yeah uh so many different it's you know six seven eight nine instruments on top of each other <laughs> yes yeah a guitar is a guitar <laughs> it's like you put a mic in front of a speaker it, there's you could do stuff with that but it's only so much before yeah. it's like okay the same stuff yeah bass the same way i mean any one source a violin there's something you can go off to the side above it different sounds from the bow yeah the but drums nothing are compared to insane <laughs> nothing compared pure to chaos it is so hard it takes forever to get good at it the balance of everything i mean i'm like really grateful that i i mean and again like that's part of why i got into it is like being a drummer myself but mm-hmm. i feel like that like when I'm playing drums, I think about how the, like, not just like you know, it's like great or the drums in tune great, but like how does, how much of what I'm feeling is coming from the kit sound in the room, mm-hmm. and how much of what I'm feeling is coming from from play. I mean, from yeah, from places other than like. You know, there like I'm sure plenty of people have said like, you know, you're not, you know, when you hear a snare drum, you're not putting your ear right up to the snare drum. You're hearing the snare drum in the room. But I feel like it's so, especially with people who who play with finesse, it's like so important to consider. I think, you know, the, the sound of of all the other shit that's not the drums that play a factor in how the drums sound. I mean, even like you know, I feel like touring opened me up a lot to this idea, but that you know, night after night after night playing the same kit. And every night it sounds, you know, it sounds different. Mm-hmm. It, you know, physically it will react in the same way if I, you know, if I have the stuff tuned at a certain tightness, it's going to, you know, the sticks are going to rebound in a way. But the room's different. So mm-hmm. everything's different. Yeah. And, and... Uh, the room's different. The PA's different. The acoustics is different. The yeah. mics they use are different. The engineer mixing. Everything's different. So it's like being being in tune, I think, with, with drums. Like, I, uh, what am I thinking of? Oh, do you, do you know that band Toe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, like that, to me, I'm like, that's the best example in the world of this thing. Where it's like that, the book on my idol plot record. Like, that drum sound is so... It's like it's perfect. I don't know. I don't know if they used one mic. I don't know <laughs> if they used twenty mics. All I know is the ratio of, like, you can hear the snare buzzing in the room. Like it's mm-hmm. so, and that's what makes it amazing. Is you hear every time the kick drum hits, you hear the rattle from the under snares, and and thinking about all like I mean that's a big thing for me too. Is like you want to hear the rattles? Oh uh, yeah, and like and like thinking about like uh, for for me. Like, you know, as a lifelong drummer, I've come to the conclusion that you can only judge a kick drum sound if the snares are on. Yeah. No, I mean, unless you play with the snares off, I guess, in which case 
And you're gonna, you're gonna have a different thing to judge by if there's an yeah. under mic versus not under mic. Yeah. Uh, just the top mic, you won't get so much. For those listening, you know this already, but if you put a microphone under the snare and on top, you get way more, well, you can get way more of the rattle. And that's that's a good point. The rattle, the way the kick sounds is definitely affects, is affected by if the snares are on. Because it's like if you hit the kick drum, it still goes, and if it's, like if that's how, you know, if you, supposing like most drummers who, who play a drum kit, if when you're playing, you have the snares on, like that, that's like, like, yeah, I don't know. Every time, every time I'm trying out kick drums with people in the studio, you know, we'll like line up a few kick drums and, and I'm like, but you got to keep the snares on. Like you have to turn on a snare drum when you're doing this. Otherwise it's like, you're just hearing something that you only have half the context of. Yeah. And you need the full context to make an informed decision. I mean, like a, you know, like a. 26 inch kick drum is going to sound different than a 20 inch but they're both going to sound different with the snares on or off uh, <laughs> you're such a drummer i'm such a drummer you're very focused on on it you're like you don't understand the snare needs to be on it's so important <laughs> <laughs> some people are like i don't i don't know and yeah. you're like you have no idea i'm like i know how long have you been playing drums oh like all like Probably started playing when I was like eleven or okay. Something. So I, I twenty-three what, years. Yeah, when the when the when the bug bit me, it was just like, oh, all the lights are on when I do this. I want to do this all the time, and uh, it's uh, what a what a weird instrument. How the hell did they figure out that that made any sense? It is bizarre when you think about the history of it. You're like. <laughs> First of all, why is why are drums like the instrument of any genre that's going to add percussion? Yeah, at least in Western world, like it's some type of drum from pop to rap to rock to experimental to. I mean, it's it's just like the foundational thing. You can rotate melodic instruments all day, but the drums is like the drums, and it's a bizarre instrument. Like, like let's why put does... these two metal pieces together that can clap sometimes or not? <laughs> and then we can change out like the different types of metals so they resonate differently. And you got to have your ride and you got to have your crash. Your crash is for this part and the ride's for that part. And it's like, it is it is bizarre. Toms, rack tom, four tom. Yeah, who figured that one it's out? It's bizarre. That, that, like, that, that it is figured out that they, uh, they function in just like on a very primal, like feeling level, the mm-hmm. way that they do. That the the kick and the snare in a in a particular order will make you sort of move in a certain way. Absolutely, like that is that is just craziness. Yeah, and it was it was funny when I I mean when I started playing, you know, I was I I didn't know the idea of crossing your hands. I was trying to play open handed, and I like uh, everything <laughs> everything was backwards. And someone was like, "Oh, you should try you know crossing your hands." And it was like you know I wasn't like a savant but i could play i just intuitively somehow i knew i could like i could like play you know your sort of basic beat and i could i could like interpolate in you know iterations of other you know just drum beats from songs i liked and you know i was like playing like some 41 or some shit yeah uh, and and it was like looking back i'm like that's nuts that people some people just you just need like a, a little push in one direction and then you're just kind of like off to the races. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, I feel like drums have sort of like guided my whole recording worldview. Because, I bet. I mean, 
It's been that way with me with guitar because that's what I play. You play guitar too, though. Yeah, yeah. You play bass, guitar, drums, like everything, right? Yes. Everything of the standard rock music. Everything of the standard, yeah, rock yeah. Uh, ensemble. But yeah. I feel like it's like the drums are like the most holy part of it and everything. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like a guitar. It's like, great, you know, you can you can stick two mics on it and and a room mic and that'll probably sound awesome if you do it right. But it's like drums are, there's so much, you know, there's so much care and nuance <laughs> Because you're dealing with a bunch of different instruments yeah. in one shot. I mean, it's... And every angle is different. The mic at different angles is different. And where you point it and a lot of fade. There's so much going on. Drums are challenging. Yeah. They always have been. They always will be. And that's why there's so many different approaches to them. There's like endless amounts of techniques. And all you need to do are this. And put a mic by the kick and point at your crotch. Like, you know, just yeah. bizarre stuff that people will do. You know what I've, I've really leaned into is... Um, the uh, st- I don't know Stager Stager, you know those mics. It's a guy in Nashville who. who that builds. sounds familiar. Stager, it's a lot of a lot of ribbon stuff. Okay, I think I think maybe it's all ribbon stuff, but uh, they make a mic called the SR1A, and it's like, it's big, big, yeah, and it's got a big long ribbon. And uh, I was recording with a friend maybe like last fall, not this fall, but the previous fall, and he was like, yeah. I think I just want to use one mic on this recording. Could we try this thing where, like, you know, we record the one mic and then you, like, high-pass one, duplicate it, high-pass one, low-pass the other, and then, you know, maybe put some, like, stereo spread on the high-passed one. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, it it does not sound like a single mic recording. Mm. And that, since then, that's become, like, an integral part of, it's like, if I'm using... One kick mic, one snare mic, and a pair of you know Glenn Johns overheads, and that. Mm. Like I did, I did a recording actually for my band Patter, which I played drums with uh, last. I don't know, maybe last March or April or something. Whatever. I was on. I was really on one, uh, and I was like, I'm not going to use tom mics. Do I use the toms in the band? Hell yeah. I I'm 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 like really riding on the floor tom for some of these tunes. And and I was like, it's going to be fine. You'll hear the Toms doing Glenn Johns overheads and this big fat mic capturing everything in this really dark, beefy, rotund sort of way. Like, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it and it worked out. To, I've, afterwards, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. What you can hear all the Toms clearly. And everything. Oh, oh, yeah. You can do totally hear what's going That's on. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's like, I I feel like having... You know, again, this is a circumstance of like, dude, who is not a recording engineer, being like, "Yo, what if we try this?" And I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's try it." And now I'm like, I, I can't imagine rocking without it. Yeah, I mean, that's a it's, good quality to be open to other people who don't necessarily know what you know. It, it's one of the biggest pitfalls for anyone in any industry to just shut off people. Like, well, I'm I'm the expert here, so I'm not going to hear you out. It's like, no ideas. They're always good. You go let them in because you can always turn them down, but yeah. like let them in. Don't filter out that until you, it hits you and you have to think about it. You can always decide like, no, I don't want to do that, but try it. I mean, that's a cool idea. I mean, there's been so many recording ideas that I've had that were great and some that were not. Nah, it just didn't work out. I'm like, I scrapped that. But you wouldn't but you know, don't if, know you didn't try. if you didn't try. You got to try. In uh, playing music for so long, recording for so long, touring, bands, all the different parts of the music industry, 
has it been hard or did you have to train yourself to still like be a music lover, not overanalyze it or let it get in your way oh, of man. enjoying it? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's the lifelong battle. I mean, like with touring, it got to a point where I think, uh, I just was like, this, this isn't for me. And I think, and I think, I'm I'm glad I did all that I did, um, but you know, like at, at the height of it, I, I toured for something cumulatively. It wasn't like five months straight, but it was like five months in total through a year. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's just that's too much for me. And I realized through this process of like overdoing it and totally burning out that actually the thing that I cherish the most is the creative process. Like playing live, not that it's like this uncreative thing, but it's much more of uh, you know, there's there's a task at hand, and it's very cut and dry. Like pretty much, I feel like unless unless you're in a band that improvises live, and that's part of the thing, like you kind of, you know, a lot of people just do the same set every night. Mm-hmm. And to that end, I'm I'm just like I I feel like uh, that kind of thing is just like I would take working with. I don't know, one, you know, one to five people uh, in a in an enclosed environment for you know ten hours a day. Eas- like that is so fulfilling for me, and I feel like being on the road was at a certain point. It was like I'm not getting, uh, you know, I'm not getting paid enough for this to be, you know, worth the sacrifices that you have to make to do it. I Absolutely. mean, and not that there's money to go around in a substantial way at all. I mean, like, of course there's not. And, you know, the whole touring industry is in shambles and and what have you. But, but I feel like that helped me reconnect in a big way with, with what it means to record. And now it's just like, you know, I had to learn to set limits, which I still constantly have to push and reevaluate and limits and like way. like like a like a hard cap at 12 hours <laughs> for a for a session like shit like that where yeah. I'm, I'm like if you listen to music in a critical way for a certain amount of time like you can't hear you you can you can hear it and perhaps you can even you know conceive of like creative ideas and stuff like that like on a you know on a, in a melodic way but like as far as like making dynamic judgments like it's not the listen fatigue kicks in oh my god the psychological damage of listening to something for that long and analyzing and analyzing it really will wear you down that's why like the question i was asking you because of being hyper analytical as a musician and artist and the producer engineer of things when you listen to music now, are you able to just listen to it as music? Yeah. Did you have to teach yourself that? Did it, because a lot of engineers will keep that cap on, that hat of being an engineer and not know how to take it off. It gets bolted to the head. I feel like when I, and maybe this is because of how I started listening to music and what drew me to it in the first place. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I feel like when I when I listen, I'm listening to the musicality and the feeling first. I'm not listening to the sound. And a lot of times I find that oh, after several listens, I mean, like, if I go into a listen thinking, 
how does this sound? I'm picking up on the sound, but it's like the sound is to me is secondary to the feeling. And it's like, I, I'm really grateful that even though I do this very full time, I work absolute insane person hours. And, you know, sometimes I will go through spells where I'm like, I, I'm working so much that like, I can't listen for enjoyment. But when I do listen for enjoyment, like when I was on that long road trip, holy God, I had so much time to listen to music. And it was like, I like I would get, you know, through most of a record and then I would start thinking about how it sounds. Oh, so you're able to kind of just shut that off. Uh yeah, like it does it's like I don't even feel like I have to shut it off. It just like I default when I'm listening to feeling mode. Mm. Probably context to it. You're in a car. Yeah. Or again, do you do you collect records? You've Oh yeah. So like yeah, uh in a car or just listening to a record. That's why I like records is like I can just I have to be a listener and I have to be a music lover. I mean, that's why we're both here. Yeah. You're a music lover. That's why you do all that you do to begin with, you know? Yeah, it is It is interesting, though, like, when, like, I, yeah, I feel like I don't, I'm, <laughs> it is funny because sometimes when I'm, you know, talking with other engineers, if it's like, oh, what have you been listening to? And I'm, like, thinking about it, and I'm like, damn, everything, everything I've been listening to is, like, mid to lo-fi, maybe, sometimes. And I feel like I generally, I don't really gravitate towards, like, you know what? What? What you'd probably consider like high production value yeah, music. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just like. How does it feel, man? <laughs> like, yeah. how, do the melodies rock? Do they stick in my head? Because like I'm not. Sometimes I'll think about a sound, and sometimes the sound itself will be a hook. But I feel like usually when I think about when you're not listening to music, but you're thinking about music, what what do you think about? And mm-hmm. for me, it's always it's like the the melody and the groove and how loose or tight it might be and then in certain circumstances where this like I feel like like uh, God that's a that's a hell of a take but I feel like the sound is almost is almost secondary like if it's exceptional like that toe record like the sound of that record is mm-hmm. just as important as all of the rhythmic and melodic context in the record mm-hmm. like imagine if that record was recorded like really bone dry like it would be a different record yeah everything would feel totally different and i feel like yeah i like i'm really lucky in that way and it's also been a thing to overcome because i feel like uh all my early recordings were just like not not that i like had no idea what i was doing but like it was all feel like it was i was like i would you know i would do like six revisions of mixes and like only by the fifth or sixth one i would be like Oh yeah, this is muddy, huh? Like, oh yeah, this this could be clearer, you know? And, yeah. And just so, but I think that that's. I mean, I I would I would hope that that's why certain folks of a certain mindset might come to me to make records is because I'm so like feeling focused, yeah. and I've had that's been the the skill that's had to become the sharpest is like shutting off feeling, listening, and going how does it sound like what's going on in the sound like i do i'm just it is so not lost on me how lucky i am that a lot of the stuff that i get to work on i'm just like damn this rocks and it's the hardest part of the work is pulling myself away from being like damn this rocks and going 
what could what could sound better? What could uh, what yeah. could have more impact? You what, can't enjoy it too much. What you could have, have to find ways around it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm I'm working on a record now that uh, I was I was gonna mention this when you asked about uh, Pro Tools. Um, I'm working on a record for a friend who uh, did the entire thing in Reaper. Nice. And I've heard good things of Reaper. I've never used it. I I think it's great. I mean, I I have. Uh, my friend Nate, who does Water From Your Eyes, I think mm-hmm. still does all of his shit in Reaper. He went to Columbia, too. Yeah, yeah. I remember he used to work at the desk. When yes, I, yes, he did. Because I remember when I reached out to them years ago before they kind of took off more in the last couple of years, or emailing him to do like a, a, a live session. He's like, I actually remember you like at Columbia, I worked in the basement. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, why do you look so familiar? I was like, that that's makes awesome. sense. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, and like his like I'm I'm to me I'm like you know thinking about like Pro Tools and shit. I'm like, look, Nate's band just got signed to Matador, and he did all of his shit on a dilapidated laptop in his bedroom on Reaper. It doesn't matter if it sounds good; it is good. It doesn't matter at all. So many people get yeah. insane, great deals on an indie label or a big label, and some of the work, some of the things they're working with, they might have had like three singles, maybe an EP. Like no no full length record, no massive production. Maybe a couple thousand dollars have been spent on their albums or recordings, and they get signed to yeah, a big sub pop or this or Sony or Virgin. And it's like his shit sounds just as good as any of the other shit on that label. No one would know that he did it in his bedroom. You know, it's yeah. just, it sounds amazing. But yeah. but oh yeah, but so so I was uh, I was working on this friend's record on Reaper, and it's been like. It's it's really it's a funny process because he's like done all these mixes and like put so many plugins on every channel that like <laughs> classic. So each each song consists of like four, three or four session files that he will then max one out, bounce it out, pull it into another one, keep going, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh and and his songs are are really lush and like like confusingly lush. And it's been a really interesting process, taking everything I know, loving this guy's music, but sort of being in this position of like, you know, I know the feeling I get when I listen to the song. Now, how can I make the impact match the feeling? Mm. That's kind of how I think about a lot of overdubs too, is like, oh, like a section makes you feel like a rise in energy. Well, let's add some more guitars there. Yeah. That's what it's telling you to do. Like, let's put some shakers there. And it's like kind of the same shit mix-wise with this dude's record where it's like, it's it's really fun listening to these songs. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's a, it's like a game of like, can I match the impact with the feeling that I get? Mm. And sometimes, you know, after you're mixing for like four or five hours, it's like, I don't know. Do I just like the song? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I I need to not listen to this. And as we've continued, we've been working on this for a few months now. And as we've continued through this process, I've been learning so much about mm. I think what how to match the feeling mm-hmm. with the actual sonic knock. And it's interesting too because you know it's like classic case of like person who's worked on their own music alone for like years and years and years dude has been working on this record for like six years oh wow and uh and of course there are things that he likes loves about the you know as close to the finish line mixes as he could get mm-hmm. and it 
a lot of people, I think, chalk that up to demoitis. I feel like I feel like demoitis has become a part of of a broader lexicon in the last couple of years. What do you mean by demoitis? Like, like when people, you know, when when people are attached to the way that things might be in a demo or or mm-hmm. rough mix. Oh, I see. Yeah, and uh, won't let it go. They're married to it. Yeah, and there and and I'm like, and a lot of people, you know, there, there's this idea of how to get over that. But sometimes I'm like. <laughs> Maybe you should listen to it. I don't know. Maybe there's magic in there and it's okay to like let it let it live in there. And mm-hmm. when so when you know we spend however many hours on a mix and then we listen to his original mix and he's like, "Yeah, I like this thing more about this." And I'm thinking I'm listening and I'm just thinking, "Yeah, actually that is better about the mix that you made." Mm-hmm. And and he'll be like, "I don't know, maybe I'm just like attached. Maybe I'm too attached." And I'm just like, "No, you're not." You're not too attached. <laughs> you're not attached you're, enough. <laughs> you're you're right. Like you're right, and I got to get as attached as you to to these. Yeah. You know the like the funny like you know it's like looking into his session files. It's like so much shit is clipping, but I'm like I can't I can't hear it clipping. I feel like it just means you have less headroom. But if you don't want your shit to have a ton of headroom, then fuck it. If yeah. it's right, it's right. Yeah. It's very very funny. Clipping on it being recorded or clipping on the output of the channel. Like on the output of the channel. Okay. That's a little different though. Yes, yeah. Yeah. When it's clipped digitally into like being recorded. Yeah, none of that. I would, I That is a very I was like, how do you not notice that sound? Like that's the most noticeable sound in audio world. Oh, is. no, I'm talking about just like output. <laughs> okay, that's a little different. Where I'm just like, yeah, turn down your master fader at least. Give me a little bit to work with. But like, you know, whatever. If <laughs> if your buses are clipping and I'm not hearing distortion and you're not hearing distortion and the headroom doesn't bother you and doesn't bother me, I'm like, I I love dynamic mixes, but I know. do too. I personally Sometimes. am not for the overmastered uh, crunch war, the yeah. mastering war of just like three decibel change from the lowest to highest. Yes. It, <laughs> that is not even human. Like no, no music ever made has a dynamic change that little. Yeah, I, I mean, I love when dynamics get really, really quiet. Yeah, and then they just come back slamming, scare me. I'm like, yeah, I want a thirty decibel I'm alive, change, baby. You know? <laughs> It's great. Do you do your any mastering or you just you send it to other ones? Yeah, no, I I I've gotten into it. It's funny too cuz that was a thing for a long time I was like yeah, I'm not I'm not really qualified for it. I feel like, like mastering people, you know, you you really got to like know your shit, which I mean, think at a certain level like yeah, you better know your shit and you better have unbelievable monitoring equipment, but like I I had the experience of uh you know, a couple, couple few mixes getting totally wrecked by just, uh, you know, putting it in the slammer with a, with a budget mastering guy. So now my, my MO with mastering is like, I'm trying to be like the best budget mastering engineer in town. I don't know, you know, like yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to be the best budget mastering engineer that I can be. Cause I like doing it for cheap. Cause it's, you know, it's, I feel like mastering is the way that you can make the most with the least amount of time investment. I mean, obviously some outliers there, mm-hmm. but, but like once you get your hands around it, it's like, oh, cool. You know, take some shit out, maybe add a little compression, but not too much. And whatever I can do to brighten up, you know, m- like mid side stuff or maybe some stereo field stuff and then, you know, throw it through a limiter and, you know, crunch it up, call it a day. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's like, it's, it's, I think it's kind of fun because it can be really like lighthearted in a way. You're like, I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some shit at the wall and see if see if this feels right to you and you know. But I I yeah, I I had the absolute uh luck of uh 
on on a tour with Dust Star in January, wow, January of 2023. Uh, we played in Oakland and this very, very sweet guy named Amar who runs a place called Macro. It's a mastering studio. Uh, he came to the show and we'd never met and we very quickly figured out we have like a demented amount of friends in common. It was like, we were like both like, I can't believe we haven't met before. This is. Oh yeah. One of those. Like totally. Like what are the chances that we hadn't met before? Like, (laughs) like almost improbable. It felt like. And so, you know, he was like, Hey, you know, if you have time tomorrow, like I'm going to be at the studio. Like if you want to come by and see it. And I was like, hell yeah, of course I want to see it. I've never been to a mastering studio. And, uh, man, it, I, I have never heard anything like that in my life. Mm. It was like, I felt like I could hear like the lows, the low mids, the high mids and the highs like separated out in this way that mm. it, it made it so obvious what I was hearing. And yeah. he, you know, he pulled up Spotify and he was like, yeah, just, you know, if you want to hear anything you've, you know, you've mastered or other people have mastered that you've mixed or and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And I and I was cruising through stuff and it was so revealing. And uh mm. and I think especially like all of the incremental work that mastering people do that I think really, really makes a good master good. It was like so obvious to me. And it's maybe I feel a little crazy saying this, but it was like in this room with like the most hi-fi shit you can possibly listen on i felt like oh i understand how this can impact a listen on a phone like like something mastered in a room like that i was like thinking about you know i'm like going through listening and i'm like yeah this the low end extension on this kicks ass and the low end extension on this is like lacking and thinking mm-hmm. about when you listen on the phone it's like it's not something you can hear but it's something that you feel it's like something that you you perceive well, the, the, all the overtones and harmonics that go up to the place where you can't hear them on a phone are there. Yeah. That's why it's so important to get everything right from 20 hertz to above 20,000. That's why we even hi- have higher sample rate recordings. It's like, why would you record at 192,000 hertz yeah. when you need, you know, for Nyquist there, you have to have double the sample rate in order to capture frequency. So that means it's capturing 96,000 hertz and below. But you're like, no one hears above 20. The best ears might be 22, 24. Nah. No one does. So, like, why capture? It's like if you uh, – a colleague of mine is really into hi-fi audio, builds his own speakers, genius guy. Whoa. And we were talking about this. He makes everything – he's an awesome speaker designer. And he has sound systems he's built that are flat from 15 hertz to, like – you know, 100,000 hertz. Like, it's insane. And they're, like, in his basement. He's built infinite <laughs> baffles. So like, wild. he's used, like, utility closets and made infinite baffles. Like, three 18-inch speakers in it. The cubic volume behind it is equal to the one. Like, so he's made, like, that's how it gets flat to 15 hertz. Yeah. You feel it. It makes your stomach and chest compress, and it, like, it makes you feel like someone's sitting on you. It's wild. <laughs> but we were talking about it, and he was saying, like, yeah, this you can't hear that sound. But it's the overtones and harmonics of all the sound below it. So if you can capture that still, it'll make everything underneath it more pristine, clear, transparent, and and have a higher quality to it. And I'm like, that's so that's fascinating to think of. I never really thought about it that way. Why it's important? Why it can be important to record that high and have playback that high, even though you can't hear it. It makes everything within the range you can't hear that much more clear, clean, yeah. controlled, dynamic, transparent. 
Um, so yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense why when you have a really good mastering engineer, they have a very specific, essentially hi-fi sound system that the average person will have never even seen their whole life, no matter what. So they can articulate and hear every single range because there's so many ranges between 20 hertz and 20,000. I mean, our ears are remarkable. Human hearing is much better than we give our credit for. I mean, we have over eight octaves we can hear. Our ability to parse sound and pitch is remarkable for our species. And we can hear better than a lot of animals. We just, a lot of animals have weird hearing where they like, (laughs) they combine like smell and hearing, which we don't because their eyesight usually sucks, most mammals, but their hearing and smell is great, especially combined. Whereas humans, it's like our hearing is remarkable. It can't shut off. Yeah. We cannot stop our hearing. It's the only thing that keeps us alive if you're in a cave, you know, in the dark. (laughs) You know, I mean, think about the first time, anytime you feel endangered, it's something you're usually hearing, you know, it's like in the dark, you can't see. So you hear something dangerous. Our hearing is, our hearing is remarkable, but yeah, to be able to hear it sound a good way on a phone, laptop, earbuds, sound system. It's almost like I tell a lot of people, like you you might not even have to mix for a sound system anymore because who listens to music on actual full range loudspeakers in the living room anymore. Me. I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. I know you do. <laughs> but I every time you walk into a house, would you actually see a tweeter, a mid, and a sub? No, you see like a Bluetooth speaker. You, t- you see an yeah. Alexa, a Bluetooth speaker. Some, some people get really into it because they get to combine different Sonus ones. Yeah. And I'm like, you're cool. Like, how about you get just get a real sound system? Yeah. No Bluetooth, directly connect. There's some hacks you can just plug your laptop into and control from your phone like a wireless controller. It's still not Bluetooth. I'm nerding out now, but there's things you can do. And I see all these amazing speakers, Panasonic, Pioneer, Kenwood, Fisher, um, or Kenmore. Kenmore? Ken Kenwood. Kenwood. Uh Kenwood. Kenmore's like street yeah you see all these speakers now over like craigslist and ebay and no one's buying them they're like 80 bucks for like yeah awesome speakers yeah, from like 1992 it's so nuts and they're amazing like guys go out Man, there and buy I, these speakers that shit's gonna come back i feel like it has to it will if people you, what we really need because everyone's so influenced by pop culture and tiktok we just need people in that echelon <laughs> to just do it for real because until then everyone's obsessed with airpods oh, and bluetooth man. Bluetooth. You know, Bluetooth has gotten better. Bluetooth was hot garbage. Oh, yeah. When we were at Columbia and I was learning about it, Bluetooth was not good. Yeah, Bluetooth was shit. And also, like, the quality of Bluetooth speakers was bad. And oh, now they're it, really good now. They're crazy. Really good. Like, for like, <laughs> if you're like, oh, I'm just trying to enjoy listening to music, like, yeah, like, yeah, get get a Bluetooth system. They're amazing. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I can't think of what it, those little like pill shaped ones. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like a whole sound system. It's crazy, and it's small. Well, it sounds like one until you AB it with one. Oh yeah, and then you're like, but this it, does sound good, but not as good as my at least two fifteen speakers. Of, like like low end. I feel like like low end vibrancy has just like it's gotten way better. So much better. Those it's bows, awesome. like the the big like pillar bows ones that you know people bring to the beach. Yeah, yeah, for, like six hundred dollars. They're pretty darn good and water resistant, almost waterproof, sand, wind, like nothing will affect it. But, it but that's weight. doesn't beat some shit that's like six feet tall and no. kind of looks like a refrigerator. No, <laughs> it doesn't. But they have a place yeah. where they are great is, hey, I want to go to the beach with my friends. Well, you're not going to bring your big old Pioneer speakers. No. Bring your your Bose Bluetooth. I get it. Or you're on, a, on the stoop hanging out with people. Yeah, bring it. That's why I like that earlier when I was bringing up vinyl and Spotify, like, they're great for different worlds for different reasons. And same thing with AirPods. My AirPods, I was so against them forever. I was just against Bluetooth. I always had to have a cable. 
And I was like, I do like go on long walks and hikes and jogs. This probably would be more convenient. Yeah. And it sure is. And I use it for that. But when I go on an airplane, the AirPods don't sound very good on an airplane. Yes. Do not block out all that low rumble. But what does is the negative 35 decibels you get when you put on Sennheiser HD 280s. Yeah. (laughs) If you put up your volume just right and you put that on, it's way better on an airplane than AirPods. Way better. You look dorky. You got this big old coil cable. But it's way better. It's It blocks up more sound. Um, it sounds better. And now you can actually, like, block out. Because, you know, AirPods can't block out that low rumble. It's shaking your ears from, yeah. like, the cab. So I think they're all great for those listening. Like, get AirPods. Have over-the-ear headphones. Have your little Bluetooth speaker. Have a full ring sound system. <laughs> but, like, use it for each task. Like, use your Bluetooth when you, again, are out and about yeah. traveling. Use it. But, man, when you're in a house and you have control of your living room, Please put some speakers, like real full range, big old speakers in there that can go loud, quiet, you know, a good receiver with many options that you can equalize and change. Maybe has a room control mic that you can harness, you know, (laughs) things like that. And they're not that expensive. You can buy that stuff relatively cheap. Yeah. Honestly, cheaper than some of the Bluetooth gear, to be honest, because it's so used and old people don't want a Pioneer receiver from 1995. It is funny that like, I mean, like I grew up. My dad had a stereo system in the living room. Same. And we would like, you know, we would like sit in front of it together and like listen to music. And he, you know, like ditched his old setup and got like a, you know, Sonos. And and I'm just like, that's awesome that you have that and I have big full range speakers. Yeah. Like that's, that's like the funniest thing ever. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And like a tube receiver and shit. Yeah. My dad is such a big sound person. My whole life, he's the biggest sound systems, all these old speakers. And then he just, like, got rid of everything when it became, like, 2000s, when it was, everything was silver and sleek. Yes. And, <laughs> and lame. And I hope now these speakers are just sitting around everywhere, and they're amazing speakers. I mean, this is at the late 80s, early 90s is the epitome of professional, pro-consumer, and consumer all meeting. Finally, they were cheap enough for regular everyday workers to afford, but they didn't compromise the quality because we're talking about these, like, these Japanese audio audio companies are, like, top tier in the world, and German ones, like, they don't compromise their engineering or anything. And they made amazing speakers at an affordable price finally because it, the 60s and 70s, it just took, the tech wasn't there yet. But it finally got there. They were good quality, and how we know that is 30 years later, I'm ranting about it on a podcast, oh, and they're still yeah. in perfect shape. They don't have holes in the cones. Nothing fell apart. The, the copper wire didn't come apart. The magnets are still good. It's like, go out there and you can find awesome speakers for 50 bucks, 100 bucks for a pair. Great shape. Take off those dust caps and you only really need those if you have like animals or kids. Take those off yeah. and just call it a day. And people just, I don't know why they're not doing it. I want to see more apartments and living rooms filled yeah. with these speakers. They're amazing speakers and they're not expensive. They're so cheap. Yeah, I mean, there's something I think sp- like I, I mean, this is. I feel like, uh, especially in this age, it's like such a trope. But it's like they really did make the ship better. They did. They made it to last. They did. And it's kind of like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm also like, think I've finally kind of curbed it. But like, I was on an absolute bender with like vintage mics and pre's for like a while, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just like. They built it really good, and as long as you get it maintained occasionally, it will, it will live. Mm-hmm. And and 
Like, I mean, like, you know, like the difference between like the modern 414 and like the 414 BULS mm. is like, BULS is just like better in every conceivable way. You know, maybe it's because it has a transformer, but also they just built all the shit better. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, the, the, the silliest thing that I've, uh, and I'm still just like, I, I, uh, for anyone listening, don't, don't do this. Um, <laughs> I bought a, uh, I bought a, uh, 1954, uh, Gates, uh, broadcast console, all tube. Uh, from a guy on Instagram. 1954. 1954. Like, I, and the thing that sold me on it was, uh, you know, you, typically a lot of these old mixers are, you know, whatever, four in, one out, five in, one out. And this one was like, well, it's that, but also each channel has its own direct output. Oh, that's cool. What the guy didn't tell me was that each channel with direct output is all fixed gain. I had never used anything with fixed gain before. Mm, no. I was just like what do I do with this? Like how, I don't know how I could possibly make this work. And then I figured, oh, you know, you send it, send it to a line of, of, you know, I've got like a Neotech sidecar, like send it to that, boost the gain, like send it to a compressor, boost the gain. Like there's a million ways to make it all Other work. gain stages that can make it work. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's, but it's like this thing is, it was built so well, like it, it only took a little bit of love to just get it in totally mm-hmm. rip roaring shape. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny that the couple of techs who have uh, worked on it were just like, oh, yeah, this is like the easiest schematic to read ever because it's it's like so much stuff now is built with, you know, a lot more. Uh, there's just there's just more shit there's going more on. More microprocessors. They're not as point to point analog and point to point analog is it's the easiest. I mean, that's why like working on old cars in like the 80s and 90s were so easy. It was yeah. still, it was the h- highest version of analog before computers got it. And it was yes. like right at the end. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I need to change my alternator. It's like, it's right there on top. It's two bolts and a belt, that a tension belt you loosen and boom, you just saved yourself like $800. Yeah. And it's anyone can do it who just like sees it. Schematics laid out right there. And it's the same thing with like older speakers. Everything's so simple. Imagine trying to fix and repair a brand new Bluetooth speaker now. Yeah, you, there's a bunch. There's they're, they're computers. They're legitimate computers. Yes. An old speaker has a passive crossover, <laughs> couple wires, boom, snip, snap. You can replace parts. You can. They're modular, is what I'm getting at. Very modular systems, and systems aren't modular anymore. They don't want people tapping in them and fixing them. They don't, because then you can save a lot of money if you know how to fix all this. Stuff, yeah, you know. Then you get into like 500 series, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. That stuff is crazy. Do you have any of that stuff? What's up? The 500 series? Uh, any of that? that? That shit is crazy because it is all modular. And they, they have a lot of these like DIY kits that like if you can solder okay, you can like put together a preamp or like. I'm looking forward to doing that. My uh, a friend of mine, him and I are into electronic soldering and all that. So we were, one of our goals for 2024 was to buy like a really nice clone preamp type of thing and just start like yeah. making making them. <laughs> You know, instead of spending five grand on a nice preamp, you could spend five hundred. That's been on my list for so. Let's start it. Let's start a shop. Preamp shop. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, the people who I know who are into that stuff are just like, just totally blow my mind. And it's always funny. I feel like all, all, almost every experience I've had with tech people, they'll be like really excited to like explain it and I'm like I understand like maybe a third of what you're saying <laughs> but like I love listening to you talk it's yeah. so maybe I'll pick up some new terms and then go home and go what the hell is that what were they talking about and I'll learn you know slowly mm-hmm. but it's 
yeah, that it it is a shame that stuff is made in a way that not only cheaps out on components but also makes it harder for you to work on. Yeah, like like oh, yeah. fix no less mod. And and yeah, I feel like that's I mean, Apple's the king of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Dude, I was rocking on a 2012 MacBook Pro for a, like up until this year. Um Wow. I you know, and those that was like that was like the last era of like you can really take your shit apart. Uh Yeah, you can't anymore. My yeah. laptop it's sealed up. It's like a vault. Yep. They can't get in that thing. There's nothing you can do about it. The thing that was awesome about the 2012 is and I'm, you know, I'm not like a super computer savvy, but like I installed an SSD. I swapped out the battery for another battery. I installed, yeah. you know, additional RAM, and it was so easy. Mm-hmm. And that was how I kept it rocking until it was just like Pro Tools is like, please, please kill me. I can't take it anymore. Pro Tools has a hard time working on anything that isn't good enough for Pro Tools. It, it's that's well, the only difficult thing about Pro Tools is that I, 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 and I still use this on my rig at home. Uh, I still use Pro Tools Eleven. Oh, wow. And not at the studio. At the studio, we have, like, you know, 2023 20, Ultimate or whatever the, the new guy is. But I'm like, all my plugins work. You know, I guess the workflow hasn't really changed with the updates. But it's like everything I need to do, I can do. I mean, like, you know, what does the new one have that 11 doesn't have? You can't do the thing where you, like, drag a region over another region and it makes them both translucent so you can see how the transients line up. Uh, like, that's that's amazing. But yeah. I'm like, is that worth the whole upgrade? Like, nah, it doesn't, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, if, you know, as I've said a hundred times already, like, if it sounds good, it's good. So I was making a lot of stuff on just, like, PT11, and it's like, I, I try to, I think about that stuff like a tape machine. Mm-hmm. It's like... I have everything I need to record. I was using a I was using a Firewire Apogee Duet at home until a couple months ago when I got a USB Apogee Duet too. And uh, USB from Firewire, yeah. USB three, three point one. You know, I don't I don't know. Probably I, one of I those. I think I think it's two or three. It's not like the new, like slim. Yeah, type, but uh, USB C. But it's like even using like this Firewire. Duet. I'm like Firewire is old school. It's super old. That's but what I'm, I got. That's what I learned on was. I'm Firewire. like, it sounds great. It sounds it sounds awesome. Actually, yeah. I did all the all the uh, overdubs for my. L- Hold on, am I making that up? <laughs> it's either the last options record I did or the one before. Are you still active in options? Yeah. Yes. Uh, that high pitch. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, I, I've been. Uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, that record swimming feeling really took me took me far beyond what I think I set out to accomplish. And after doing something like that, it's like well, I don't want to do that again. You, I, like I, I really feel like I hit the nail beyond uh, far beyond I you know how I even imagined that a nail could be hit. And mm-hmm. so now I'm sort of like I stumbled into this new. Uh, this new process with, uh, I call it computer music. I do these karaoke sets where I sing into an auto-tune pedal uh, w- over an iPod Nano. 
and uh, karaoke. You said, yeah, like in front of people. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like mostly unreleased stuff. So wait, it's, you said an iPod Nano? Yeah, I put the backing tracks on an iPod <laughs> Nano, and I just, uh, yeah, I just play. Oh, I miss the iPods, dude. They're I sick. miss it. It's like really fun. I'm just like oh, scrolling on my that was iPod such a good at the time. gig. <laughs> such a good time. I just saw an old one. My brother has it. He lets his two-year-old daughter use it as a phone, air quotes phone. It's so and it, It's an iPod classic that oh, doesn't work, man. and it's got it's the 30-gig one. with the, It's thicker. Yeah. Like from 2005, you know, before they went to 80 gigs in 2007. Yeah. And, I mean, think about that. Trying to only fit 30 gigs of music. Yeah. I mean, that would fill up so fast right now. Oh, my God, yeah. It's... And then they got, when they got to the 160, that was huge, especially the slim 160. That was, but even that's still not enough now. Yeah. You know, the thing, the thing that I think I, I miss about that era is, uh, like I, I actually, when was, I guess this was during the pandemic. I was like, I'm canceling my Spotify subscription. Like, fuck these people. Like, you know, obviously for, for a million reasons. And, uh, I'm just going to buy everything on Bandcamp. And if I want it badly enough, well, and I, you know, and I run out of streams. Well, better go buy it. Think about how, like, you know, how much do I? If I listen to a record more than a few times, I feel like I'm like I should, I should give these people some money. You know, like, I always buy the record. It's so yeah. it's so important. There's nothing better than buying the album than getting the free wave files yeah. to put on your computer, and then now you can now phones allow you to play wave. It's like you can just put it on your phone. Yeah. My phone's riddled with thousands of wave files. Uncompressed audio from bands, and I have the record. It's the best of both worlds. It's so awesome. It's the, great. The thing that I think I, I in this moment, had stumbled into, because this was about when I, uh, you know, what do you do during the pandemic? You're just getting in all sorts of crazy shit. And I, uh, and I found my old iPod Nano, and I was like, oh god, what? Oh yeah, it was it was the uh, the the headphone jack on my iPhone just stopped connecting. So I was like, well, I guess I'll use my iPod in the car. And all of a sudden, I was like, I became very aware that I was like, oh, I'm like curating this whole library. I forgot about that. I forgot that that's how everyone used to listen mm -hmm. to music is rather than, you know, you log on to your streaming service and it's like, here's what you like, which, you know, everyone's guilty of. And I'm, I'm totally guilty of it. I'll just log on and go, oh, I guess I liked this yesterday. I guess I'll listen to it again. And sometimes it's because I want to listen to it. And sometimes I'm like, I want to listen to something. What do I listen to? Oh, here's, it's telling me what I want to listen to. And it's so, it's such a special thing to curate your own library. I mean, that's part of what I love about having a record library. But it's the same thing with the iPod. It's like the exact same thing. So there's the like about a year. And when I started sort of gently touring again last year, I was like, oh, I should I should probably get the subscription back so, yeah. so I can listen, you know, whatever I want. And, I think uh, the Spotify subscription, iTunes, any streaming service or iMusic, I think it's um I think it's great. Depends on your intentionality and use of it. Yeah. If it's to discover new artists, you go there go therefore go see them at shows and buy their shirts and vinyl and stuff. It's a great tool. If it's just now that you have this and literally endless amount of music yeah. <laughs> forever and every version of everything ever made, and now that's stopping you from buying this stuff because you're like, why would I, I could just listen to it? Why would I buy it? That's where I think it's problematic because, as you know, and I know, the artists on these streaming apps are not making anything or next to nothing. So they do need that because it gets, it helps to promote them around the world, but they need you to go to the store or their website and buy it the record, the shirts, the cassettes, the CDs, the stickers, the pins. Yeah. Go see them at a concert and buy that stuff. So if it's taking away from it, 
I think that's a problem. But if it's helping enhance it by helping you discover new things and then going further down that rabbit hole of that music and there, maybe you discover a whole music scene in, in Brooklyn because you found two bands on Spotify and then you just kind of went on their Instagram Dig and connected the webs and now you're buying all and... these vinyls. That's amazing. That's how I do it. I wish, I wish more people approach it that way because if you truly love art and music, giving your money to uh, Apple and Google, who owns YouTube and Spotify, is not the good or right thing to be doing. Trust me. Yeah, they have great outlets to discover stuff, and it ends there. Yeah, it everything is... else, it's kind of an abomination. It, it, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I feel like a, you know a lot of things in life are like you know m- multiple things can in fact be true within the same reality, and I feel like you know, rightfully so. A lot of people are like, you know, Spotify is you know they're. They're evil. I mean, you know, as as uh, you know, from an ethical standpoint, totally evil. I think, um, but that can be true as well as the service is awesome. It's amazing it's to remarkable. have access to all uh, of the this bands stuff. I discover through that one app is unreal. I mean, yeah, like like just being on that super long drive alone and thinking, huh? I forgot. A friend told me to listen to this record and you know there there were a bunch of records that i i was like you know you go on a on a long drive for long enough and you really start to get into some like huh what if i listen to that oh yeah. wait but what if i listen to that and it it was like me i mean i i've discovered some of my favorite records of this year from mm-hmm. from that but it's like it's a it's a slippery slope <laughs> like it's my goal a, my goal is to have des- design an app someday where it's like all the artists get paid, the engineers, the UX and UI designers get paid to upkeep it and the server gets paid. But like anything above that, like anyone running it just gets normal like salary wages. Like, yeah. like the, the CEO, as, in as this situation, say you're the CEO, you are, you are never seeing a billion dollars. In fact, you're barely probably ever going to see a million dollars. You might make $250,000 a year. But every artist can make Instead of making, you know, $300 over the course of the whole year, you might make $30,000. Yeah. And I, I mean, I could sleep much better at night and I think anyone involved Oh my could. God, that would change everyone's lives. I'm going to try. I mean, I, I, I think it's possible. I think you might need around, you know, $500,000 probably do it. But you'd have to have everyone involved would have to be okay with not making that much money. That's Relative the to part. everyone in the field. <laughs> they can make good money, healthy money. Yeah. But instead of being uh, a really good um, computer scientist or engineer for Spotify or, or Google or Apple, and you might make three, four hundred thousand dollars a year because you have a very specific job, you might just make eighty thousand. But it's like, who can't live off eighty ethical do- eighty thousand dollars that are ethical yeah. as hell? Like, how could you not sleep at night, or it's, how could you not sleep being able to do that? It's uh, it's hard though because they have such a monopoly on it and. I tell you what, if I did do that and did do it cheap and people really got paid well, I it, I probably had to be scared for my life. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like, these, these people have the money to just have me killed and no one would ever know. Yeah, they don't want... I mean, it, and it is... it is. I mean, it's. I feel like it shows up in so many ap, uh, avenues of life, but, like, the people doing the grunt work to make the wheels turn are just treated expendable, you know, in an oh, expendable yeah. way and... and uh, and we're, it's so, I mean, it's like... We're just units of energy. It's, we're not even people. Yeah. You know? It, it's crazy. And it's, I mean, it's really like... When I was trying to see if if touring as like a lifestyle could work for me, it became 
like I couldn't I couldn't unsee once I saw it that you know the whole industry sort of does this thing where it like fetishizes uh horrible tragedy and and like heartbreaking uh suffering mm-hmm. it, it, it like puts it on this pedestal romanticizes like, it yeah and it and it doesn't uh it's never like oh what could, what can we do to make sure that that you know future people don't have to suffer like this it's like nah let's just let's just run this thing further into the ground like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter and i i feel like it yeah i mean it is an interesting period in music too because i mean certainly it's like i mean i think kind of everywhere like the flow of money has just ebbed so dramatically but like especially in rock music it's the wild west there are no stakes anymore you can't like rock rock is probably the least popular it's been since it's existed since and, 1955 yeah and and <laughs> since so elvis and buddy you know buddy holly or um buddy holly and yeah. what's his name Ch- chuck chuck berry chuck berry yeah. yeah and it's like it's like it's it on the one hand it's like you know uh downtrodden times can really spur like bananas levels of innovation which is cool but i'm like that's that's great but i wish i wish that uh that the lesson wasn't wow it's what what a story of this person who suffered you know and and and, you know to me i'm like i i wish uh i wish for enough smart and motivated people to want to do something to move the needle sure and how how people can be taken care of because it's gonna just keep i mean it keeps getting worse for everyone in in this field i mean like even thinking about the idea you know being a recording person of like you know getting the coveted uh label payout for a project like i i don't think i've i don't yeah i don't think i've ever worked on a project that a label paid for i think it's always individual i've never either yeah it's always and it's always it's it's super interesting talking to people who live in like you know new york and la where that does happen sometimes but also sometimes it's just like you know a teenager with rich parents you know type of situation but but i feel like um yeah it's 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 super crazy to be like i'm surviving from people who everyone's just like working a you know coffee job or or maybe they're working a salary job and they get enough to to do you know a week in the studio or whatever it is but Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you're the love has to be there because uh it's a thankless world and a thankless job and a thankless endeavor it it the music industry (laughs) is by far the most thankless because it it takes so much back-end work to just have this front-end product so much i mean years we've both worked with bands and on projects where it was like years and years and years and then it might, you know, get 800 streams. Yeah. And make like $7. Yeah. And like, that's it. <laughs> which, which like on, I guess on the flip side, that's something that I really love about this line of work as opposed to like, you know, playing music as a main lane uh, is that when it's like my, you know, my job is like, is the, is the artist happy? Do they feel like the work reflects their vision? Did mm-hmm. they have a positive experience? Did they feel empowered to try new shit that they wouldn't have tried otherwise? 
And if all those answers are yes, then like, hell yeah, I did my job. Mm -hmm. And if they want to go dump it on Bandcamp, that's their prerogative. If they want to, you know, if if, uh, Island Records signs them and puts out their record and then drops them, you know, like that's their, that's all their prerogative. But my job sort of ends, like it would be awesome if, if something popped off, of course. Sure. But it's like, it's kind of sick knowing that my job as a recording guy is like when I send you the final mixes or the final masters, like my work here is done. Wow. I think that's a, that was beautiful. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's a great way to pause this, this interview, this podcast for a, a future one, one day when we do another one. Hell yeah. I, that was good. I love like talking it. about this stuff. Thank I know. You, I can tell. I, I, I love listening to it because I'm always used to me having to do this type of explaining of the perspective that we both live. But it's nice to sit and listen to someone else. We have so many other journeys and, and, and things you've done. You've worked on so many projects. I mean, how many albums have you been a part of to date? <sighs> Probably a couple hundred. Right? I, yeah, it has to be a couple of hundred. And especially, too, if you count all of the uh, video sessions on the Puddle Splashers channel. Like, yeah, it's, a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy amount. It's crazy to see, though. Like, when, when you first, when we both first started, it's 2010, and then 14 years later, you're like, oh, my God, I've literally touched and been a part of like thousands of things yeah and like what what is it going to look like in 20 30 years from now like holy like my <laughs> fingerprint's going to be on parts of the globe like everywhere yeah. especially because of the internet like it's everywhere and you won't even you might not even realize it it's pretty cool where, where can people find first your music that you're a part of and then any production stuff like uh, the studio, how they get a hold of you if they want to record with Seth oh it's all it's all sethengel.org uh, just S-E-T-H-E-N-G-E-L dot org. I designed my own funny website. Nice. It's, and that's everything? Everything we found it's, there? Yeah, it's it's my entire recording discography, my entire personal discography contact page. Cool. And then like Instagram, Facebook, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all it's all on there. I feel like, you know, like we've we've watched uh different, you know, social medias come and go and uh Websites are forever, as long, <laughs> as, long as the internet exists. Did uh, diamonds are forever get to you for it, that one? Oh yeah, websites are forever. <laughs> they are. They really. <laughs> I'm like, and my my website's funny too. It's like design. You know, I built the whole thing myself with my uh, middle school level HTML knowledge, uh. and uh, and it's simple, and it just has everything that that you could need on there. Mm-hmm. It's and it's fun. Like I, I, it's it's an art project, really. Yeah. An ongoing one, you just do it indefinitely. Yeah, it's got it's it's got uh, some of my bad drawings on there. I like it's, the .org. Yeah, that's a good touch. I couldn't get .com. I don't know why. And uh, someone else had that already. Yeah, yeah. I I had that for a period when I was younger. Um, I like just because I was like, Ooh, I can I can get a website. And I, I think someone snatched it up or something. But yeah, dot .org because I am an, I am an organization. Yeah, <laughs> loosely, yeah, loosely. Yeah. So everyone could find your recordings there, book you there. And then your band stuff's there too. Yeah, the yeah. Music stuff. That's cool. It's, and then you you work at which studio? At uh, Olmstead. So Olmstead in uh, in Humboldt Park. It's a clever name. Yeah. Homestead Olms. It's like a it's it. like a that. funny it's a funny spot because it's uh, yeah a lot of lot of like clean clear big modern stuff and then like lots of freaky vintage. That's cool. Yeah. 
I would love to see it someday. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to check it out, let me know. I, I, I like to. love doing studio tours and being, I would love to. Yeah, it'd be fun. It's very funny. We just had a had someone new move in with a, a half inch eight track tape machine, actually. And nice. uh, and I'm I'm like already scheming uh for for a particular project that I'm I'm like, what if I what if I mix all the drums into in just you know the first two tracks on the tape machine just do it all in stereo and what you got's what you got yeah that'd be crazy we gotta find you a two inch tape yeah yeah you know (laughs) i feel like there's something there's something funny about about uh the uh the lower i feel like the lower fidelity tape stuff feels more tape because you can hear it yeah (laughs) a good two inch tape with good gear with a good band a good engineer sometimes you can't even tell it's that good. Yeah, it's like yeah, like the 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 like two inch twenty four track studer. I'm like, yeah, man, this shit kind of sounds like Pro Tools. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Pro Tools with like a little scotch of saturation, yep. a little bit, just a little drop. Yeah, no, very cool stuff. That's thank you for everything you've been doing in the music scene in Chicago and nationally. Oh, yeah. All the bands, all, all the the session work. I've I've always known about you and seen your work, and we have. So many, like insane amount of crossovers in colleagues and friends and clients. Like oh yeah, hundreds of people that we all know of the same people. So it's really cool to see everyone over these years still like doing the thing. I I don't care how successful or good someone is to see them do it for a decade plus and like know about it the whole way. <laughs> no matter who it is, what you do, what I do, it's really cool, and I always appreciate because it, it gives hope you become a mentor for people coming up we, we oh, now have yeah. been doing it long enough to where we have youngsters do asking us questions you know honestly that's <laughs> that's been like the coolest thing about being in my 30s now is like sort of be, i mean i'm yeah working working with a couple people who are on the younger side one person who's like 20 24 and uh i'm like damn how like i you know feels feels just like yesterday that i was that age and had some sort of cool older person who was generous enough to show me the ropes and mm-hmm. and you know let me fuck up and and all that stuff and I'm like I'm so grateful to be in a position where where people trust me with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, now you're that person. It's awesome, Isn't and I feel cool? like you know, it's uh, it's never lost on me how important community is and being. Uh, being an open book. I mean, like I said earlier, I'm like, if I, if I, sh- if someone wants to learn about, you know, anything that I do and I show them what I do and they take it and do it better than like, that's, that's sick. Yeah. Does it, does it suck if someone poaches your work? Obviously. Yeah. But I'm like, what's better, you know, for the world of music. Like yeah. That, I think that's it's a good mindset. I think that's, I think you can have more longevity with your sanity if you can look at the world with those types of glasses. Yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not a race. It's not, not a competition. It's not a competition. No. It's all about sharing, and uh, and that's what makes the creative world go around is is sharing. Really, I think so. love. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all you got. That's all you got. Well, Seth, thank you for coming on. Yeah, man, thank you it's so great much to for see asking you again. Me. It, of course, I it's uh, I think this is the first time I've like ever talked about this stuff with anyone oh wow on, in a really in a recorded way yeah that's cool yeah so super appreciate it yeah well i appreciate you coming here being honest telling so much in depth of what you do and why and the different angles of it again people need to hear it some people engineers we were, we're always in the dark it's a mystical place we just <laughs> like make we translate things and it happens 
And um, I think more people enjoy hearing what's, you know, how the sausage is made, what's behind the curtains. Yeah, there's a lot of juice in that sausage. There's a lot of juice in that sausage. <laughs> you could be vegan. I don't care. There's a lot of juice in that sausage. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So thank you again. Everyone could find him. www.sethangle.org. .org. Boom, baby. <laughs> All right, thank you everyone for listening and find Seth's work and music and support them and support all your local musicians and everyone you can find. If you've got Spotify, that's fine. Listen to it and then go buy some records, vinyl, CD, cassettes. I don't care. Support music. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.